Life is back on, sports bettors, and BetUS has your NBA, NHL, UFC, PGA, and yes, NFL betting lines up for their 27th year and live betting on all of it. Log in to BetUS.com or call 800-729-3887. That's 800-729-BETUS. BetUS for 125% bonuses with promo code JONES22. Customer service pros are ready to get your phone and social and online sports betting kickoff started now. Play with the proven mainstay in the industry, BetUS. You bet, you win, you get paid. BetUS.com. You can also use the promo code JONES22 with crypto for a 200% bonus. That's BetUS.com. Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Jones Report. Drive our Jones here with you. So glad to have you with us. Coming up on today's show, we're going to be joined by Mitchell Summers, formerly of WIBW in Topeka, now joining the news team at Fox Carolina News in Greenville, South Carolina. We will catch up with Mitchell as he uh, wraps up his time in Topeka after covering the NFL draft and Kansas' national championship run and more. We'll get his insights when he stops by here in just a little while from right now. Plus, we'll have Coach Bo's Football Fix presented by O'Connor Advisory Group, as well as our Tom Fullery Story of the Week as well at the end of the show. Tom Bridges joins me as always. And Tom, this weekend is Mother's Day weekend. And my mom, in case she is listening, and I, I doubt she is, but just in case, uh, the gift that I am giving her is the gift of cold hard cash, which personally, I don't think you can ever go wrong with. You give her a card, you give her cash, and then she buys whatever she wants. To me, that's a game changer. That's a winner right there. And, you know, I, I hear from people say, well, it doesn't mean as much. Well, uh, whatever. Well, if I find her something that she doesn't like, that she ends up taking back, I feel like I'm just saving everybody time here giving my mom cash. Cash is king. Cash is king, and um, you know I don't, I don't think I've ever given my mom cash. I think more so I've, I think one year I, um, like, I, I sent them like my mom and like I guess my dad at that point money to go have dinner somewhere, like nice, um, like for a purpose. I've sent them money, right? Right. Like videoed it. Um, but usually my mom is like a big plant lady. She likes pots and. Um, different plants and things like that. So she's she's always trying to add another one, um, or or different little decorations. She has kind of like a knickknack type of deal, and she's got kind of like a theme. So we'll get her some like some cool little things to add to her shelf or to add to her themes. I mean, her, my room, my old room at the house is literally turned into a plant room with a bunch of other shit in it, and so it didn't even look like it. I'm like, you know, I moved out and literally. I don't know, two weeks after I moved out, they painted the whole room, stripped the carpet. And uh, I come back, and I'm like, well, damn, you guys could have told me I could have got the f- out earlier than that. You guys were just going to, you know, do whatever. I'm like, well, it looks like I'm not ever coming back. Just jo- obviously jokingly. But, um, yeah, so my old room's a plant room. So I'll probably add to my old room um, vicariously by buying some more plants for my mom, I'm sure. So but, you need to buy a plant that kind of like represents you of some sorts. 
that you know instead of watering it you just pour whiskey on it and it grows like a grows like a freaking vine that'd be an expensive plant you're right if you just had to pour well yeah it can't be cheap whiskey either if that was the case <laughs> it'd have to be it'd have to be pretty it'd have to be good whiskey but you can only have to, well i don't know if i was a plant i water myself every day in air quotes so maybe <laughs> maybe it'd be more expensive than that you know a little inside baseball for the folks out there tom and i you know when when we're hanging out and such we usually like to go get a drink or something and and uh tom is now turned into a sophisticated drinker of sorts uh a little little bougie we were talking about that last week's show that uh our friend jose has turned us into the bougie types and such and tom won't even drink a bottle of wine unless it's at least 15 dollars. and when i heard that from tom i said well, what if somebody just marks up their wine? They just decide, you know what, uh, this you know eight dollar bottle of wine, I'm going to sell for fifteen instead. How would you know the difference? You can you can tell the difference. You can I I know it, and I've been I've been drinking long enough that I can tell you, you know, I can look at I've seen other bottles of wine that I would normally get. Um, you know, there's there's one. It's called Fourteen Hands. Has horses on the bottle because horses are measured in hands. Um, and that's not bad. That's like a $12 bottle and I'll, you know, I haven't got that in a while, but their cab is pretty good, um, for being 12, but anything under, you know, I'll go for 15 just, just as insurance. Um, but if I'm going to drink and, you know, damage my liver more than it already is, I'm, I'm going to do it the right way. Um, how do you factor in when you're visiting other places like, you know, a 15 bottle, $15 bottle of wine in Oklahoma or Texas would be like a $30 bottle of wine in California. Does the, does the minimum go up and depending on where you're at? You know, I think it would, um, you know, I'm not going to pay, I'm not going to pay $40 for what I could get for 18 in Oklahoma um that and and you know especially if someone offers me wine i'm not going to turn it down um now the, you know the wine is the only thing that i'm bougier about there there are certain whiskeys that are you know i'm a maker's mark guy which is about 28 i don't know i can't remember the last time i saw you just drink a bud light i know yeah maybe at a football game um and that's if there's really nothing else yeah I'll, well okay okay that's fair Wine and beer, very bougie on, very, um, I don't know how you would say it. Uh, um, I guess bougie is the right word. I, like, I, I will, I'll scoff at your Bud Light. Now, I, I, I have I no problem like, Tom, doing that. For me, here, here's the thing. Like, I, I love, you know, to, to drink things that are sophisticated, you know, of sorts. But at the same time, too, I can go to a, a tailgate and crack open a cold PBR. I mean, PBR goes down smooth, you know, or, or having you know, some Michelob or something like that. To me, it all depends on the environment, the setting. Like I'm not well, going to be fair. I went to be fair. I'll drink a PBR. I don't mind PBR. I like, I don't mind it. I'll drink it. Like one time I was hanging out with some friends and, uh, there was this girl I was interested in and uh she out of out of all of us you know we all got nice drinks we're at this nice place i got an old-fashioned 
and this girl orders a Bud Light in a glass. I'm like, okay, this is this girl's a little hick we got right here. Like, you know, I, I wasn't down with that. <laughs> Just a little hick, she said. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, listen, the last time I had a Bud Light, I'll tell you, um, they were all out of Budweiser and all out of Michelob at Boone Pickens Stadium. And, you know, it was like third quarter. Um, so I was like, well, I don't really have any other option. Um, so I'll take a Bud Light, I guess. But, you know, if I'm if I'm somewhere else, like that only has kind of like the cheaper side of beer, usually they have Modelo on tap or Corona, and I'll go that route. Um, Modelo is probably my favorite beer that you could get. Like that would be normal, not anything crazy craft. Um, you know, and if it's free, I'll tell you this, Jones, if it's free, all that goes out the window. But if I'm paying for it, if I'm buying it, uh, it's, it's going to be, you know, at least mid tier, uh, if anything else, you know, when I was 21, different, different story. Um, but you know, since I've aged almost nine years since then, if I'm going to go out, if I'm going to go out, I'm going to do it the right way. I'll still chug a PBR with you though. I'll okay. still, I'll still shotgun one. That's, that's not a problem. If we're at a NASCAR race or something like that, you know, that kind of goes out the window. It's like when in Rome. Right. But if I'm buying it, if I'm buying it, it's going to be, I have to go mid-tier at least. Now, this weekend, besides just Mother's Day, the time we're recording this, it is uh, Cinco de Mayo on Thursday. And some of you may be, be listening afterwards and Cinco de Mayo has already passed. But nonetheless, Cinco de Mayo time, I feel, is a very underrated holiday. Like, I know that everybody loves St. Patty's Day and such, but to me, Cinco de Mayo is even better than St. Patty's Day. I love me some Cinco de Mayo. Get me the tequila, the margaritas. I'm all in on Cinco de Mayo. And, you know, I have some good Mexican friends. They know how to have a good time. Um, you better believe I'm going to get down on Cinco de Mayo. To me, Cinco de Mayo is a can't miss. Right. I mean, it is. And, and Jones, we don't have any Hispanic heritage. Uh, well, at least – I don't. I don't know if no, there's anything. No, I feel in... like the, the Native Americans and the Hispanics, you know, we, we were around each other back in the day. I feel like we're relatives of some sort. Maybe so. Yeah, maybe so. We I, have I similar do. backgrounds to an extent. You know, we make better tacos than they do, but, you know. Whoa, whoa, like, whoa. Know. I don't know about all that. I love me some fry bread. I mean, we the take fry the bread's same good. stuff they do. We take the same stuff they do with tacos and just put it on fry bread. I don't think it's seasoned as well. I still don't think it's seasoned. It's they're good. Don't don't get me wrong. I'm not knocking fry bread. I just rather have. I'd rather have powdered sugar on top of it and honey, other than um, any taco meat. So you want a funnel cake? Yeah, I mean, yeah. the The Indian tacos that I've had here in Oklahoma are well. Maybe maybe that's what I'm doing wrong. Like the the. I'll tell you what, you go to a powwow, the char burgers at a powwow, way better than an Indian taco at a powwow. Yeah. Maybe maybe because I'm just a spicy fan. But, you know, it's funny. I don't have any Hispanic heritage. But um, I, you know, it's really funny that I do have, you know, Irish heritage. And I'm like 20% Irish, maybe even more so than that. Um, and... <laughs> You know, you talk about favorite drinking holidays. If I had to pick one, a, a main drinking holiday would be New Year's. But if I had to pick one between St. Patrick's Day and Cinco de Mayo, you know, the main spirit of choice on St. Patrick's Day is whiskey, which is my favorite. The main spirit of choice 
for Cinco de Mayo is tequila, which is my second favorite. Um, and then, but you look at the beer, I would much rather have a Modelo or a Corona uh, or a Mexican lager um, other than a Guinness. So I guess by the tie break there, I guess you could say they're even or I would prefer Cinco de Mayo better. Jones, not even to mention, this is one of the years that I've, I do, you know, if you're a long-time listener or even listen a long time, I always put this in here. Um, I always host karaoke on Thursday nights. And it just so happened that St. Patrick's Day fell on Thursday this year. And Cinco de Mayo also will fall on a Thursday. So at the time we're recording, this is a Wednesday. If you're listening tomorrow at the time the show released, you can probably bet tomorrow night. If you think about me, I'll probably be 12 Modelo's deep. Um by i don't know midnight so uh jones it's a good holiday it's fun it's a lot of fun especially when you uh get to be the the one that, that starts the party and djing so uh even in small town Bartlesville, i'm sure tomorrow or when you're listening to this today um it's gonna pop off and so, uh you know it'll be i'll be the power ranks the drinking holidays how would you rank them for me it's uh, and I'm not counting the the big traditional holidays like Thanksgiving and Christmas. We're talking about the ones that are just an excuse to drink. I think Independence Day is even one of those. I think the Fourth of July is just an excuse to drink. In all, hundred percent. Yeah, um, I would rank them: New Year's, uh, the Fourth of July, Cinco de Mayo, and then St. Patty's Day. That's my my top four on the drinking holidays. Yeah, you're talking my language. I would do the exact same. Um, Is that your power I do think that more liquor or more spirits or more just alcohol in general is consumed by the public on the 4th of July um, than it is on New Year's Eve. But that makes sense um, because, you know, you only celebrate New Year's Eve on one night. Usually on 4th of July, you're celebrating that whole weekend at the lake when it's hot. Uh, well, you know, yeah, it's, it's hot. It's summertime. You know, it's not winter. There's not snow on the ground. You know, everyone's outside partying down, barbecuing. So, 4th of July has got to be number one, right? Um, you know, I feel like, Tom, you and I, we could show up at Grand Lake and get ourselves into any party with a, a bunch of babes if we just showed up with some white cloth. You know, yeah. I mean, you could. You really could. And, and I don't underestimate your powers. Um, that's, that's <laughs> I might a long not even need to bring the white claw. Jones, I wouldn't be shocked if you somehow got us on a multi-million dollar yacht. Um, somehow, just because, oh well, yeah, he's uh, you know, he's some guy that used to uh, sit behind me when I called games at Broken Arrow. It's like, all right, we just jolly on to his yacht and just, I don't know, end up sleeping with his wife at that point. I, you know, I'm, just, <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm, you know, I'm kidding. But it's like. There are some things that happen that I don't underestimate you for. Um, that would you had to learn that over time not to underestimate. I mean, you know, I've had a lot of friends that are as bold as you, uh, that have that have, uh, I don't know, maybe I would guess you'd say earn the consequences. You have somehow been unscathed. Well, in a way, I think uh, we won't mention anything on this show. I'm batting about 95%. I would, yeah, I would say so. I would say so. Here's how I put it. I, I, I explained it this way uh, to, to somebody a while back. 
I have built my entire life, Tom, on beating the system. I am the anti-establishment guy in every <laughs> And, you know, most of the time it works out great. It's fantastic. But every once in a while, the system hits back and gets a W. And when the system hits back, it hurts. It, it hurts bad. It's painful. But it's worth it for the wins you get 95%. Well, you never, you've never let it stop you before. So it's, you know, one L after, you know, every – at this point, you're about 25 dubs to every L. And maybe even more than that, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> and it and when you do take that L, it just motivates you to get back in the octagon again and keep on. Yeah, going. you got to get in the wind column again, and so it won't be too long after you take an L where you're like, "Oh, shit, Jones back on the horse." <laughs> you know, there was. Uh, I'll, I'll I'll be very uh, hesitant how I say this. Oh. <laughs> uh, there was there was something this year where I did take a big L, and. Since then, I have just recovered wonderfully since then um, with all that has gone down. And this, this is not to brag or anything at all, um, but that one L that I did took, and Thomas knows exactly what I'm talking about. Ever since then, everything's gone swimmingly. It's, it's pretty amazing, actually. <laughs> yeah, sometimes I don't know how you do it, but, uh, you know, I, I just, uh, you know, and it's funny, too, because I'm usually the one that's kind of a, I don't know. I like to think kind of a risk taker, kind of like, oh, okay, well, we'll just do this. And I'm, I'm more of a, I, you are more, I like to think of, uh, I'm trying to figure out how to word this. I like to think of myself as, as a, uh, do it and ask for forgiveness instead of a uh, ask for permission first. Right. And that was maybe up until I met you and you just kind of take that to a whole new level. And if it works out and you don't have to ask for forgiveness, which is mainly the your route of play, yeah. Then it works out great. And um, me, I just don't even ask for forgiveness. I just tell how it is. I mean, to be honest, yeah, I'm not even going to boost you on that. I'm just telling it how it is too. <laughs> I did. There'll be some things we'll go and do, and I'm like, well, Jones, hey, wait, 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 hold on. And you're like, nope, nope, it's fine. And I'm like, oh, sh okay. I guess I'm uh, <laughs> to be very vague. I'm, I guess I'm jumping a boundary here. I guess we'll just do it. We'll do it I mean, lot. what's the worst? What's the worst I can tell you, right? That's I feel like that's your motto. What's the worst that could happen? What's the worst that could happen? Yeah, exactly. It's played off well for me so far at this point. Um, anyways, enough about me. Let's uh, talk about the NBA playoffs uh, to this point. Uh, as we're taping this, uh, the Suns are actually playing the, the uh, Mavericks right now, and uh, that series, Suns uh, up one nothing. This game very early on as we're taping and. And uh, I would expect the Suns to win game two. If they didn't, you're probably sitting there laughing at us right now. But nonetheless, uh, Tom, the, the Suns had a scare with the Devin Booker injury. And, you know, since then, the odds in Vegas really just shot through. They were the heavy favorite entering the postseason. And that changed when Booker went down. And the way the Warriors played in that first round, the Warriors became the favorites. They were tested by New Orleans. And then the way that they, they turned things around, you know, with that statement win against Dallas in game one and such, uh, I am I have not wavered. I, I still think this NBA postseason goes through Phoenix, Arizona here. Um, yeah, and, you know, with the way it's played, you know, you, you saw the Grizzlies pull out a gritty win 
last night. The Warriors lost Gary Payton um, Jr. Um, to to honestly a really um, uh, POS move by Dylan Brooks. End up fracturing his elbow. Granted, Gary Payton Gary Payton Jr. Uh, okay, well he's not Clay, he's not Steph, he's not Draymond, he's not Jordan Poole. He's an integral part of that team, but it's not anything crazy. They could very well easily win that. They've it's one one series. Um, but you want to talk about the Suns kind of bouncing back and you know, at, at the time that we're recording this, like you said, the Suns are up on the Mavs right now. Um, and I fully expect them to win that second game in Phoenix. Um, it will be funny though at the end of the show if they end up losing. But yeah, Jones, I I you know, we I was thinking Devin Booker might not have been back as early, but um, he's played well since he's been back. And, you know, credit to the Mavs. They've they've done well, especially after Rick Carlisle's been been gone. And I, I think he's one of the top tier coaches in the league, Rick Carlisle is. And so, you know, for what it is right now for the Mavericks, you know, you're facing a great Suns team. If I had to be honest with you, I think the Mavs are still one real piece away. I think they need a a solid big man. Um, and, you know, previously they thought they had that in Porzingis and shipped him away. Um, they need somebody like Chris Paul has DeAndre Ayton. Um, Luca maybe needs somebody kind of like that. But you would think right now in the West, um, the Grizzlies are going to give the Warriors everything. It's I would If I had to be a betting man, I would say Suns-Warriors, but after that series with the Grizzlies, I think the Warriors are going to be gassed. And and Jones, I, I think you're absolutely right. I think Western Conference runs through Phoenix. Yeah. Uh, you know, we, we were talking on last week's show how the super team experiment is over for now. Now, that could pick up again. But right now, the, the super teams are, are out of it. We're back to the NBA that – we know and love the way that we've wanted to see it for quite some time. And, you know, a, a Phoenix team that's homegrown for the most part, other than bringing in Chris Paul, obviously, you know, Golden State, even, you know, with their core right now are guys that were brought in in house, you know, Steph, Draymond, Clay, um, you know, Jordan Poole and company and such. And so, you know, with that being said, this Phoenix team, not only, are they, you know, a, a homegrown team and a great story after uh, the way Monty Williams has coached them up, after the way Chris Paul has really elevated this team and such. The way that these guys play team basketball and, uh, you know, getting De- DeAndre Ayton involved, you know, the inside-out game and such. I mean, this is fun to watch. You know, I, I didn't like – the way the Warriors would shoot threes and, and, and do their thing and such, you know, I respect it, but that's not the style of basketball I, I like. I want to see some, some toughness, some physicality. And we're seeing that from this, uh, this Phoenix Suns team. They are a well-balanced team. And I think that's why that they're the favorites to win the title is because they're the most balanced team in the league here. Yeah, hundred percent they are. And it's not to say that the Warriors couldn't be, but, you know, they're essentially the blueprint of why the NBA is the way it is today. Um, you know, Steph Curry shooting threes, very high-paced, very full, fat, very fast-paced, very high-energy uh, team that, that likes to run you in transition and have Steph or Clay pull up for three. 
If you want to double team Steph, then they'll work the ball around. You can't outrun the ball, and they'll do you that way. Um, they never really had a big, big man, right? You had the piece of shit Zaza Pachulia for a while, who wasn't worth a really damn except to injure another player. But um, a little salt there for me. But you know, they never really had anybody. Sure, you have James Wiseman, that's meh, and then you have Kaminga, that's meh. But you know, at the end of the day, they go back to what's going to win them. Um, you know, what won them championships for Phoenix, though? You're absolutely right. They're a well-oiled machine. They're very balanced. You know, if if the shots aren't falling from three, if Devin Booker's not pulling up and, and scoring, then, you know, you, you run the little high screen and roll with Chris Paul and DeAndre Ayton, and they're unstoppable after that. You you, you throw in, um, who is it, oh, Miles Bridges and um, what a few others off the bench, and, you know, it doesn't have to be one, but it doesn't have to be for them. It doesn't have to be a Steph Curry night every night for the Phoenix Suns. They have multiple ways that they can beat you. Um, and, and that's why, Jones, if I'm going to be honest, that's why they're going back to the finals this year. Yeah, I think so, too. Uh, meanwhile, the other series in the Western Conference, the Warriors and the Grizzlies, that series knotted up at one apiece. Draymond Green uh, has been ejected, and uh, you know we, we've seen some stuff going on with him. I want to start off with Draymond here, Tom. Uh, we know Draymond's got a track record, and – you know, it's no accident that he's the dirtiest player in the league, personally, I think, at least dirtiest high-profile player anyway. And, you know, the, the flagrant two that he got and was kicked out the other night and such, um, I didn't think that was necessarily fair, but I, I, would, I would say that a guy like Draymond is not going to get the benefit of the doubt and such. You know, um, well, because of his track record. Right, right. And so I, I would rather see for somebody like that, you know, I, the the NBA err on the side of caution of saying, you know what, look, you, we can't afford you to be, uh, you know, dirtying up these guys and such and to be you know, doing the things you do and such. I would rather see them be aggressive on Draymond for his track record rather than, not be on him at all. I mean, if you have to choose a lane here, I understand where the NBA is coming from and all this. And I hate defending officials, but I understand their reasoning here. Well, I mean, Jones, you know, censor me here if you want. If it wouldn't been a bitch for so long, then we wouldn't have this problem. Maybe you could get the benefit of the doubt. You know, I've been a longtime anti-Draymond player, and I've since kind of let up on it. Because as he's got older, he's kind of mellowed out, I thought, a bit. I, I still think he's a very smart player. I think he breaks down the game well. I think he, play, I like he plays his role. off the court. I think he's excellent on his podcast and oh, his work with TNT and such. I mean, he is going to be a phenomenal analyst when he retires. You know, I mean, I'm looking forward to that career. But on the court, Draymond, I, I can't stand him. Yeah, he's, his basketball IQ, I think, is through the roof. Um, and he knows his role, which is so hard for some of these NBA players. I mean, he knows his role. He doesn't have to score. You know, he doesn't, he, he doesn't care about stats necessarily. He wants to win, um, and it shows. And, and, you know, sometimes it gets the better of him. And, well, a lot of the times it gets the better of him. Um, and, you know, it, it goes for getting ejected and then flipping off the entire Memphis crowd, which – I don't know, Jones, if I was, if I'm him, the, the, the crowd that I want to flip off the least in terms of 
city demographics is probably Memphis. Um, you know, Draymond, big guy, talks a lot of shit. Uh, Memphis, maybe not the city to do that. Um, you know, I'd put them up there with, uh, I wouldn't want to be caught out alone. Um, up there with maybe Philly. Uh, that's just me, though. But, yeah, yeah, I mean, you were along walking in uh, Phoenix in the middle of the night at one point. Oh, Memphis, year. well, Memphis, yeah. and I, yeah, and I ran. Um, I mean, in in Memphis, won that game. I still sprinted because everything off Beale Street was dead, and I didn't want to be caught dead uh, in a in a dead part of downtown Memphis. Left alone um, and die in a ditch. Yeah, that would have been pretty bad. Glad you're okay. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, now for this this Warriors team, um. Uh, I think a lot of folks assume they would cruise to the Western Conference Finals based on how well they start off the playoffs here. Memphis has given them everything they can handle. Job Morant is playing incredible. The, what was it, 47 points he had in game two? He was terrific. And to think that he's so young, I mean, we're just seeing the beginning of this guy. I mean, the best is still yet to come here. I mean, I think Golden State wins the series, Tom, but Memphis is going to give them all they can handle. I'll be shocked if this doesn't go at least six games. It's definitely going six. I'd be shocked if, you know, you're absolutely right. To be fair, I I think they split in in Golden State as well. Um, I think, to be honest, if I was a betting man, if I had to put 50 bucks down, I think Memphis gets game three. Um, That'll be yet to see. That'll be, I think that'll probably be Friday. That'll probably be a Friday game. I would imagine uh, it, I don't know, there might well be on Thursday night. Um, no, it'll be sorry. Excuse me. That game, game three for the Warriors and Grizzlies, will be on Saturday at uh, seven thirty Central Time. So that'll be one I'll be watching too, John. It's going to be one. I think one of the better series. You have the Warriors. I have experience. You have the Grizzlies, who who have kind of obviously did a did a 180 from the team they used to be slow you down grit and grind to when you watch the Grizzlies play it looks like a track meet um I mean the way they run up and down the court is is why they're so good um so if I like I said if I'm a betting man put put me down 50 fake monopoly dollars on the Grizzlies to win game three um Jones it's going to be a heck of a series yeah, I think so. Uh, Tom, I don't know if you did anything different with your microphone there, but you sounded a little bit muffled. Um, but nonetheless... Maybe I tried uh, to censor myself. Oh, there you go. Now you're back on. It's all good. Um, now, let me uh, get to, on uh, this point here, the Eastern Conference uh, series here. Let's talk about what's uh, going on there on uh, that front. You have... In the uh, Boston Celtics series uh, there with the Milwaukee Bucks, that one tied at one game apiece. And uh, what we saw in uh, that series, you had the Celtics dominate game number two. And then in uh, game number one, the Bucks dominated that game. And so here we have, we've seen both teams play at their best. And now the series heads uh, back to Milwaukee with the series tied up one game apiece and Milwaukee taking back home court advantage. Although Tom Milwaukee did not play great in a game number two, they got to feel happy about themselves that they did what they were supposed to. It doesn't matter how you play in both games. 
It matters if you just steal the one, and they did that. They took the one they needed to. Now they're fine. They're in good shape. Yeah, John, especially when you get to the the semifinal conference rounds, uh, you know, with as much parity in my mind or in my opinion that there is in the NBA today, if you – I mean, if you can just steal one, you know, if you're the higher seed, if you could steal one the first two games at your opponent's house, you got to feel great. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that's – you know, nobody goes in. I'm sure you want to go in there and expect a sweep. But realistically, if you get one, you're golden. Go go defend your own home court now. Right. Yeah. Um, when you look at that series there, uh, you know, the way that Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum played in game number two and the way Jason Tatum in particular has had a really good year this year, we've talked about for a long time, Tom, that that duo was good, but they hadn't taken that next step of playing to their ceiling. I think with – with Jason Tatum. I don't know about Jalen Brown yet. I think we're finally starting to see Jason Tatum play to his, his potential, his peak of some sorts. Right. And you know, you have Marcus smart playing well defensively all year. That's the player of the year. Yeah. Right. And well enough to do that. So you have him come, you know, contributing quite a bit. Um, you know, you know, there are other players, you know, like you mentioned, Jalen Brown maybe hasn't reached this ceiling yet, but, you know, almost a different start spark. And this is no shot at Brad Stevens at all, but maybe just a quick minor change can, can do that. And I think Brad Stevens has a capability to lead this Celtics team to championship. And I think current coach has a chance to take them to the championship. I, I think a little bit more maturity on their end. Um, you know, you have Marcus Smart and, and – a little biased here because I'm Oklahoma State guy, but he's he's played smarter, and and you, I'm not the only one's going to be telling you that. You can look on Twitter for that. You can look at the high profile people on Twitter; they'll tell you the same thing. There are plays that Marcus Smart is making that don't like show up on the stat sheet that he was not making two years ago or even a year ago. Um, he's had a great season, and I think it's made a lot of the difference. You mentioned Tatum; he's kind of coming into his own. Uh, he's he's really blooming into his prime in a way that that you you might see John Morant blooming even early right now. That's the same thing for for Jason Tatum, and so for this team, I, I think you go in every night. You think sky's the limit. Sure, you know, they're playing the Bucks, but when you look I mean, at championship teams, Tom, you always have to have that X factor player of some sorts, usually a guard. You know, I, I think you know here in Dallas that Mavs team in 2011, it was JJ Barea. Um, you know, the, the Spurs teams, you know, had Danny Green step up and such. And for me, I look at for the Celtics, I think it's Marcus Smart. I think that you're always going to get a great defensive night out of Marcus Smart, but he's just good enough offensively where he can make an impact and, and surprise you, can catch the opponent off guard. I, I think Marcus Smart, if the Celtics are going to make a run, Marcus Smart would be that guy. Yeah, he has to be. And, and, you know, I think they wanted – they were – that was maybe somewhat their plan for him, especially how he started the year. Um, and, you know, you could say they traded Josh Richardson and picked up Derek White. You know, he he had, I think, the highest plus-minus in, in terms of plus um, in, in game two for them, but didn't score a single point. Um, I, I think maybe they want him to do more, and I, I don't blame them. But, I mean, you look at their big men, too. You look at, like, Al Horford, old. Uh, who else they got? What Daniel Daniel Tice? He's uh, he's 
he's 30. I think he's like 30, 31. Um, so, you know, they don't have like a big man that can take over um, and, and do those things maybe like Embiid or, you know, in the Suns case, DeAndre Ayton. Um, they're, they're very guard heavy in terms of talent, um, but they're maximizing. And I think you're absolutely right. You look for the X factor that's not your main one-two punch um, being Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. You look to Marcus Smart to to absolutely do things on and off the stat sheet that that uh, end up earning you the Larry O'Brien. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right about that. Ben. Um, now, as far as that series goes, uh, with all the nice things we said about the Celtics, I'm not picking against the Bucks, but I think that one's going seven, Tom Jones. I'm going to tell you right now, I'm picking them against the Bucks. That game one, I don't know if you watched game one. Boston had so many open shots, so many open threes. It was not falling um, for them there. And, and I thought, man, okay, well, if these shots were falling for them, this would be a, a completely different game. And, and granted, the Bucks had control of that entire game and, and came out. And, and honestly, TD Garden is not a very nice place to play. We saw that last series uh, with, with Kyrie. Granted, there's a little bit of bad blood uh, between them and Kyrie, but – just to, just to back my ass up with some stats here, in, in terms of shooting percentage, the, the Celtics shot 33% from the field, field and only 36% from three in game one. You look, at, um, you look at Tuesday's game, what they shot, I mean, you're looking at 47. You were looking at 15% above, 47, pretty much 48% from the field, 46.5 from three. Jones, I, I think they got their bad shooting out of the way. You know, you can say the same thing, I guess, for the Bucks. They shot not even 20% from three on Tuesday night. But, Jones, if, I think it's going six or seven. If I had to pick, I'm going seven, and I'm taking the Celtics. Yeah, uh, I, I, I can see where you're coming from there. I don't blame you, but I'm still leaning towards the Bucks. I'm not betting against Giannis. Real quick, on the uh, Sixers and Heat series, Embiid's been out. They think that he could be back later this week, but already down two games to none. I think that deficit's too much to overcome. I like Miami here, Tom. Yeah, I like Miami too. We talked about them last week, Jones. What did we say? We said they're flying under the radar and they like it that way. I, we've talked about the Miami Heat the least and they're the number one seed in the Eastern Conference. I bet we talk about them less next week. And I bet, I bet what we're saying they're next week's show – because we're saying they're up 3-0 or they're pulling the sweep. They're the silent assassins. That's what I want to call them now. The silent assassins, the Miami Heat. Deadly team on both sides of the ball. And they surprise you. You don't see it coming. Tyler Hero's playing great off the bench. Eric Spolster's going to keep his team doing what they do. And, you know, I, I think we see Miami and Celtics. Uh, you know, you say Bucks in Miami. Uh I'm not going to be shocked if Miami's in the finals. I'm not going to tell. I'm not going to say it, but I won't be shocked. Yeah, I think you're right about that. So there you have it. That's our NBA playoff breakdown here on the Jones Report this week. Coming up next, going to be joined by Mitchell Summers of Fox Carolina News in Greenville. We'll get his thoughts on uh, what is uh, going on post-NFL draft and such and what he's doing there in Greenville. And uh, we'll have plenty of NFL draft conversation looking back on it, give out some grades when Coach Bo joins us for the football fix coming up later on. Plus, we'll have our Tom Fullery story of the week. We'll also 
dive into what's going on in the Big 12 Conference, talk NIL and more, and a possible split with the NCAA and the college football playoff. All that and more as we continue. Stay with us here on the Jones Report. Joining us now on the Jones Report this week is one of my favorite people. Uh, It is a pleasure to call him one of my friends, and I'm uh, so happy for him for a lot of reasons. And he's starting a, a new chapter in beautiful Greenville, South Carolina, as a new sports anchor and reporter for the Fox station in Greenville, Fox Carolina. It is Mitchell Summers, formerly of WIBW in Topeka, who joins us right now for what I believe is his first interview in Greenville. Mitchell, pleasure as always to have you on, my friend. Congrats to you on uh, the new gig and the continued success. What's going on? Hey, thanks, buddy. I appreciate it. It's it's uh, really a blessing to be able to have these type of opportunities. You know, I, I grew up in a, uh, in a small town and I grew up in the Lake of the Ozarks, but where, I, where I'm from, um, not very many people end up um, uh, making it out to other places and doing big things like this with their lives. So to be able to, to, to move forward and, and, and have these types of opportunities is something that I'm, I'm very blessed to be a part of. And um, to be able to pop up on this podcast with my boy Tyler, are you kidding me? The Jones Report. Hey, I'm making big time nowadays. You kidding me? Hey, you know you're always welcome on this show. I know it's been a minute since we last had you on, but nonetheless, uh, always a pleasure talking to you. And uh, yeah. you know, I'll, I'll take a moment uh, to brag on on Mitch here before we go any further. Uh, I, I can't. I, I'm not going to go into the conversations, but this guy has helped me a lot off the oh. air too. And, uh, over the, uh, the last several months had been there for me. You know, what you see with Mitchell as talented of a broadcaster he is, he's even uh, a better person. And, uh, you know, you gotta have everybody I think needs a Mitchell Summers in their life. Oh, bless you, man. I appreciate you saying <laughs> that. You know, I, I give you the energy that you give to me, you know, you're the, as much as you'll sing my praises, I can, I can say the same thing back to you. I, I give you what you deserve because you give me the same thing. Yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, getting out to Greenville and uh, seeing you and what, what's going on there in yeah. uh, South Carolina, man. Uh, from what you tell me, it's uh, quite the place. Oh, this place is so pretty. It's just the the downtown area is built around. Uh, uh, there's a this really beautiful river and a waterfall that goes through. And, and the whole kind of downtown area is built around it. And, and it's really um, over the past, from what I understand, the past five to 10 years, it's really kind of exploded from being just like this, this big, small town to now it's like, oh, this is like, like on the verge of, of being something like really, really big and special. Like we're going to compare right now is it's like, it's, it's, a, it's a lot like Overland Park right now, I would say. And, um, and, and it's, it's all, I'm sorry, my cat is like really struggling right now. Oliver, move. Uh, <laughs> and Oliver's uh, made the move. Yes. Yeah. Yes, he did. Oliver is of course coming with me. Yeah. It's, um, it, it's, a uh, it's a really pretty town and, and the people here are all seem really nice. Like we were walking downtown and I was, I, I was just kind of po- pointing around places and, and this complete stranger was asking me, of course, in a very thick Southern ass- accent, we are in the South, um, asked me, hey, do you need any directions? And well, we didn't need anything, but they just, someone just out of, out of the blue wanted to help us out. So it's just, 
we're we're everyone here seems really nice. The the new coworkers I have, they all seem very happy to have me here, and I'm really excited to get to um, cover Clemson and 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 South Carolina and 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 be able to tell some really cool stories out here. Yeah, that's uh, that's really cool. Uh, certainly excited for you, Mitchell, and uh, all that you got going on there in uh, in Greenville. It's uh, going to be great to see. So, mm-hmm. uh, when when you look back, I, I want to get this from you too, because I'm sure that you know. Obviously, most of our audience uh, that that knows you is uh, from back in in the Kansas market. So, how would you wrap up your time there? I know that uh, you had a good run and uh, got to see so many great things and uh, meet a lot of people along the way. Any uh, any thoughts that come to mind uh, there? Uh, any message you want to give to those folks out there? Oh, uh, it, it's I mean, what better way to kind of bookend the experience of being in that market than get to watch KU win? another national championship. It just really highlights the, the, the place is really special for what it offers you sports wise. Like whenever I was first coming to, to, to Topeka, people first were like, Oh, Topeka, what's there. And, and people that are in the industry would have looked and seen, Oh, the, the market ratings, it's in the, the low one forties. Why, why would you go to Topeka? But I, I had this feeling from the beginning that I had a chance to be really special with, Oh, you get to cover the Kansas city chiefs, get to cover the Kansas Jayhawks get to cover Kansas state. I just had a feeling that something, something really special could come from this. And I mean, a year after I started working there, I was in Miami covering the chiefs winning a super bowl. And then as I'm, as I'm kind of uh, riding the, I'm I'm riding off into the sunset, um, Kansas pulls off the miraculous and winning a national championship. So the, the, the sports that I got, to witness were really, really special. Some really great, really great um, uh, uh, professional moments to be able to say that I've covered multiple championship winning teams. Because as you know, Tyler, like um, it's it's not profound analysis to say there's only one team that wins a championship. But then like on top of that, it's there's only one media base that gets to say I got to cover a championship winning team. And overwhelmingly, in, in sports, it's the same people winning national championships, college football. I mean, it's going to be Alabama. It's going to be Georgia. It's going to be Clemson. And, and it's the same, the usual suspects over and over again. So it's very, you, you, when some of these people get to stay in this industry for, for several years, you know, there are some people that can, that can look back and say, oh, we got to see a team make it to the Sweet 16, or we got to see a team win a high ranking bowl game. Very rarely do you have the, these opportunities where I'm only 27 years old. It's very rare where you have these opportunities where you can cover a Super Bowl championship winning team and a team that won an NCAA tournament. So so those are things that like I I I always look back and I feel I, I always look back very fondly on the the professional experience that I got to have while I was in Topeka. And then personally like I got to meet people like you. There are just so many people in the place that I, I will, I will say, um, as I, I, I got to be around, uh, these people for these three years I was here and there's all these people like you, the talent, you're off in Dallas now, you know? So I, I know I've, I've made friends that wherever, like wherever you end up going next, I know I'll always have a friend in that city. And, and it's really cool to be able to, Topeka was this place to see really great professional things, but then personally you'll get to run into people that, you'll get to see everywhere else in the world. 
Yeah, uh, I crashed on uh, Mitch's couch multiple times, uh, you know, after <laughs> some good nights in Topeka or trying to cut my yeah. drives between Tulsa and Omaha, you know, yeah. and such. And certainly uh, some uh, good memories there, uh, you know, and, uh, for uh, for Mitch and I, certainly, and uh, excited to see this uh, this next chapter for him uh, there yeah. in uh, in Greenville. Certainly going to be exciting on uh, that front. Uh, Mitchell, uh, I, I want to ask you, too, you know, I still remember that the first time I met you, I said to a friend of both of ours, Mitchell Summers, like, this guy asked some detailed questions here. I mean, he's like the, the Tom Rinaldi of Topeka or something. I mean, this is this guy's very on point and such. Like, it stood out right away. I, I'm very curious what your first questions are going to be to Dabo Sweeney and, you know, like, get down to the nitty-gritty. You know, I, I want to – I want to know everything. I feel like I'm going to learn everything there is to know about Debo and Clemson through you because you you always find a way. Yeah, I I think what was really fortunate though about like those times when you got to see me ask those questions about Kansas, like I could think the, in particular the one where I was really cutting to the point was when <laughs> KU lost against Coastal Carolina. Yes, that, that was the was game. Like, that was the first time yeah. I met you. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that one was like oh, very clear. There was no, like, if ands, or buts about, like, yeah, they lost. That was a really rough loss, even though we've learned as time has gone by that Coastal Carolina is a good team. But still, at the time, we were thinking, like, oh, this is a really rough loss. There's no – it's cut and dry. And I was I was one of the guys that in the room. That was before like, Coastal Carolina is what they are now. That looked like a yeah. bad loss at the time. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, I was I, – I can remember everyone in the room kind of trying to be gentle with, like, Hey, you know, what kind of things can you learn from this? And, and I was, I, well, I think it was the first person to ask in the room, like, Hey, this, you're trying to say that this is a new KU, but you guys just had another loss. So like, that was like undeniably was <laughs> unquestionably a bad experience. So like, um, so it'll be the, the, the difference being whenever I'm covering Clemson, it, it's like, Oh, if they, I mean, I guess the big the big story is going to be their quarterback situation with DJU, whether or not he can actually continue to be the guy, or they've got this young freshman dude who was an elite eleven MVP. Um, whether that whether or not DJ sticks with the job long term, that's going to be the the I guess the big thing that I can that I could hit on. But like still, it's going to be Clemson should be a team that's going to fight for a a, a, a football a, a football playoff appearance, so a college football playoff appearance, so. Uh, it's going to be difficult to to say to come up with something like that whenever they're going to win every single freaking game. <laughs> right, <laughs> that's a great point. We're talking to Mitchell Summers here at the Jonesport this week. Uh, Mitchell, uh, you, you know, uh, speaking back to that day, you know, since we're we're stepping back a bit, uh, mm-hmm. I don't know if it was you or who asked it. I can't remember, but uh, Puka Williams that day had said that. Uh, he believed Kansas was still going to a bowl game. And I think they were no. like one and two or oh and three at this point. And everybody in the room, I remember, was just shocked and like, okay, we got our <laughs> tape. That's enough. That's that's leading our newscast tonight. <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness. I God bless Kansas football. There's all these guys that that really genuinely tried and um uh, all these guys that that genuinely putting it can you hear me yeah i guess okay sorry sorry i, I was just gonna call from my girlfriend actually in germany um uh, but um 
uh, all, God bless Kansas football. They tried real hard, and and all these guys had their minds in the right place. But oh, all these, all the uh, just as much as there were guys that were trying real hard, there was an equal number of guys that were equal, if not more, guys that just couldn't get out of their own dang way. <laughs> Uh, Coach Leifold's oh. a good dude from what I've seen thus far. I'm hoping the best with those guys moving forward. Yeah, I hope so too. I think you're 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 on to something there. Um, let me ask you the uh, the NFL draft was this uh, past weekend. Uh, I'm sure you were keeping tabs on your old team. You were covering the Chiefs as well as your new team. You're covering there with the uh, Carolina Panthers. Uh, just kind of an overview. Uh, you know, stepping back a bit. What would you make of just the draft as a whole? Uh, Pretty exciting uh, record number of trades there in that first round. Yeah, I was – so I had been coming back from the Dominican Republic as the first round was going down, and I was sitting in an airport in Atlanta. as like I landed, and, like, Trayvon Walker had just been drafted. And as my, my flight was taking off back to, uh, back to Kansas City, it was when they had just taken the corner out of Washington. And, um, yeah, and um, – and I, of course, like when I landed, I got cut up and they'd taken Carl Loftus at the end of the first round. Um, but, but yeah, I was sitting in an airport, just like losing my mind with, Oh my God, AJ Brown just got traded to the Eagles. Are you, I, I'm a, I'm a big AJ Brown truther. So that's like one of my guys. Yeah. I've always been like an AJ Brown is in my opinion, I've always been like AJ Brown is better than DK Metcalf. I, 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 of course, those two guys were in the same receiving core in at Ole Miss. I've always been AJ Brown is the superior player. I'll take DK two. Metcalf. Uh, we can have that argument, though. Uh, you just like seeing with a shirt off, don't you? Yes, yes, clearly. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but anyway, I was I was just losing my mind with like. So obviously, the big I think talking point from that outside of like the quarterbacks thing, not only one quarterback being taken in the first round and, and can he take it? Like one of the, this is like a really big test study for, Hey, do high end receivers really matter? Like paying a receiver 20 plus million dollars. There was all of these teams that made this, this bet with like, Oh, like obviously the chiefs, obviously the Packers and the Eagles, another great example. And the Niners are in this situation right now of like, Hey, is it worth it to have to pay a receiver 20 plus million dollars, a guy who's going to be like super dynamic? And, and I, and, there, and a, there's a part of me that thinks we have gone just a little bit too far with this case study. Cause like a guy like AJ Brown, it's just, I think he was 24 years old, 24, 25. He's about to hit like realistically what his peak his his prime will be. And, and it's a really interesting case study to see like, Hey, are the, the Titans are going to, are there going to be, anything radically different with getting Traylon Burks, is it going to be a radically different experience um, or is it going to be much of the same? I mean, it, it all depends on whether or not Derrick Henry is healthy at the end of the day. Um, right. But still like it, it's this really interesting case study for like, Hey, do receivers high end receivers, do they really matter? Or is it like, Hey, there's just always four or five, truly transcendent talents in the draft every single year at receiver that like you shouldn't you, you shouldn't be paying receivers that much money 20 plus million dollars it's just considering what you can get it's just not worth it so so yeah i just that one's a really interesting one and i was just so i'm i'm actually a lions fan at heart see the lions 
like make great decisions, <laughs> just taking Aiden Hutchinson. And then you see them trade back up to, to pick 13. And oh my God, I, I was terrified that they were going to take Malik Willis. And it just felt like the Lions move. And then they take Jamison Williams. And I sent out a tweet after the draft. I tweeted that, oh, the Lions, and I forget which Super Bowl, but I think it was 2024. The Lions are going to be Super Bowl champs in 2024. And uh, Bryce Young will be the Super Bowl MVP for the Lions because they're going to be terrible this coming year. They're going to have a top five draft pick. They're going to use, and they have two first round draft picks in this upcoming draft. They're going to definitely take a quarterback in the top five and they'll be ready to freaking go. Jamison Williams, Amon Rossi Brown, TJ Hawkinson, DeAndre Swift, great offensive line. Bryce Young, let's do this. You're only one of like three Lions fans on the entire planet <laughs> I know of. <laughs> Literally, I think we, I can name like three. Yeah, we keep it pretty quiet. There's just, I mean, <laughs> we all wear bags on Sundays. <laughs> Oh, yikes, yikes. Um, but, yeah, the, the wide receiver market deal is an interesting one for me because, you know, I mean, you mentioned like DK Metcalf, and that's one story I've been covering a lot with with the Seahawks is that, you know, he thinks that he's getting the extension and he wants to stay, but, you know, no deal's been done yet. And until the deal is done, the trade talks are going to continue. And, and I feel like with these guys, eventually these teams have to – come to a decision point of, okay, are at your price, are you just worth it? Or is the draft capital a better option? You know, in the Chiefs case, they said, look, we'd rather have the picks and, you know, take uh, the likes of, uh, you know, Trent McDuffie, you know, I, I was one of the picks, you know, that they got. And then, you know, go with Sky Moore in the second round and, Sign Juju and you know Valdez Scandling and such rather than pay Tyreek Hill. The Dolphins said that look, we need the receiving talent. We'll take what it takes to give up and take Tyreek Hill. It, it, it's going to be very interesting for me to see how this plays out. Of at the end of the day, what teams benefit from paying the receiver as to taking the draft capital. And it might be a different answer for different players. Uh, I don't think we're going to have a universal answer here when it's all said and done, Mitch. Yeah, I think um, it's it's one of those investments that you just you just these teams like the Chiefs, the Packers, and um, now the Eagles. You just pray, fingers crossed, that is the great long term investment because they're like we're all acknowledging that Tyree Kill is going to start this coming year and and Devonte Adams this year, they're going to be two top five receivers in the game. In my opinion, top three receivers. So that's, they ended last year as top five receivers. They're going to probably play this next year as top five receivers in the game. And you just know that it, the very first year that, that, that both teams are on their both players on their new teams, you know, it's going to be a huge L they're going to be like Tyree kill is going to have a 70 yard reception for a touchdown. He's going to throw up the peace sign. And there's going to be a whole bunch of memes of Dolphins fans tweeting that at Chiefs fans with him throwing up the deuces. And, and, and you just know that the first year it is going to be, yeah, we're just Sky Moore, no matter how much we value his ability, there's just no shot that he's going to be what Tyreek Hill is. You just pray that over the long term, over the next four years, that um, this bet that you made that, that Tyreek Hill is going to decline 
over the the it's the last two to three years potentially of that deal where it looks really really it, those numbers look really uh, unappealing so um that's that's really what you 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 just end up praying for but i don't know i i i i just feel like we've gone a little bit too far one direction and with some of these cases like like especially like in it, it was it was really pronounced for me for a guy like AJ Brown because you don't have a, an elite quarterback at least with like Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers you can bet that hey we have a potential MVP at quarterback and can help kind of match some of those deficiencies <laughs> versus like Tennessee is as much as as much as there is probably a bunch of Ryan Tannehill truthers out there like even the most ardent supporters would admit that, hey, A.J. Brown is like kind of a nice asset to have to help open up what Ryan Tannehill could be. And, I, and believe, you saw last Mitch, year. I would say to add to your point, um, I think that with the Titans moving on from A.J. Brown, they've closed the door. They said, we're, we're, we're done. Our, our window is over right now of being a Super Bowl contender. You know, they were a win away two years ago from being there. Last year, they were the number one seed and, you know, barely lost the Bengals there. And Tannehill played horrible that game. I, I think the, the door is shut on the Titans. I don't think that they can be a contender anytime soon. I think we're talking about the next time the Titans are a contender again is the post-Tannehill era, whether that's Malik Willis or another quarterback. It's going to be a while now. They've shut that door moving on from A.J. Brown. Yeah, and, and that door closes because you give up these, like, transcendent skill uh, uh skilled uh players that um that kind of help mitigate the the issue of not having an elite quarterback so it's a really interesting case study for like you can wrap your mind around the chiefs saying hey we're just going to bet on pat mahomes being really special you can wrap your mind around the packers saying hey aaron Rodgers is just going to be really special but just if if the if the Titans can this year, I mean, th- them potentially winning their division is not is not like it, it's. I mean, they're going to be playing with they're going to be fighting real hard against the Colts, obviously. But like them walking away with their division is not exactly a a difficult cha- a difficult uh, uh, obstacle. Um, so they'll likely still be a playoff team, um, but them walking in as a one seed again is, is, is almost impossible in my opinion. So it'll be, it'll be, it'll be really interesting to see what teams are able to kind of glean from that. If they say that like, Oh, everyone can, can, it can agree that Ryan Tannehill is not an elite option at quarterback, barely a top half of the league type of quarterback. If they're able to be a 10 plus win team, um, like BA finishes a top, three seed uh, after winning their division it'll be really interesting to see if other teams are saying yeah we're 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 uh, uh, another team that has a receiver i think like well down the line the vikings with justin jefferson think about what they're going to be looking into you know with with a guy like that maybe they're looking at like hey we'll just let this guy ship ship off because he's going to ask for 25 million too he's going to be another guy that's going to try to reset the the market for receivers so it's it has ripple effects across the league and really, I think at the end of the day, the Jaguars, whenever they offer that Cardinals receiver uh, all that money, I personally think Kirk. that yeah. they, yeah, Christian Kirk, when they offered Christian Kirk that crazy deal, I think they did that on purpose because they wanted to see all of the chaos that would ensue 
whenever some middling slot receiver was being paid $18 million. I think they did that intentionally to try to destroy the league. <laughs> you know, uh, that's, I my, pass- my ten- that's my tinfoil hat conspiracy theory. <laughs> I would not put it past the Khan family. You know, I mean, yes. this is an entire family that created a wrestling league just to compete with Vince McMahon because they could. Yeah. You know, <laughs> why, why would they not do that either? You know what? That might not be that far-fetched, you know, honestly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. When it's all said and done. Um, Carolina, the the Panthers, who you're going to be uh, keeping tabs on there, uh, Matt Rule of the hot seat. Um, a lot of pressure on him, of course. Uh, you know, they're entering this year. In that quarterback situation, they say Darnold's their guy. They drafted Matt Corral. Uh, you know, they're in, uh, what was it, the third round? And there's been the Baker Mayfield rumblings of sorts as well. Ultimately, when it's all said and done, who do you think starting day one for the Panthers, if you had to guess right now? Do they ride with Darnold or does Corral get a shot? Or do you think they go ahead and make a play for Baker here? I think there's a third option, and that's pain. That's what's starting at quarterback. <laughs> <laughs> It's from the school of hard knocks. (laughs) It's uh, it's at this point, this there every what was really interesting about the draft is and and how things kind of shook out quarterback wise is that there's a lot of teams that just kind of said, hey, we're good with what we got. And um, like the the option for Baker Mayfield was there. There was. uh, the 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 all parties kind of made it pretty aware that hey the the Panthers are not happy with their quarterback options. Baker Mayfield certainly isn't happy to be in Cleveland anymore, and the Browns are certainly pretty happy with not having Baker Mayfield being their guy anymore. So the the runway was there for the plane to take off, and it just. Like as the all the engine checking was was done and they were ready to take off, just for whatever reason, air traffic control said, "No, you're not. You're not flying this flight." So it it'll likely end up being the Sam Darnold show because I, I was I loved watching Matt Corral towards the beginning of the season, but I think again, even some of the the, the greatest Ole Miss fans could acknowledge that he's a quarterback that has his warts. Is he a guy that can step right into the league and start? I don't think so. Or you, I, I would think if, if there was, if you tried to sell it to a fan base that this could be our guy, I think every fan base would really truly um, uh, would 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 be just like us Lions fans and find their greatest brown bag out there when they're showing up to games. So it's it it's this is why I say all of the options leads to your third string quarterback and that's pain. Yeah. Uh, PJ Walker, the uh, former XFL MVP, uh, I believe is the actual <laughs> yeah. third string uh, quarterback. Yeah. Who knows? Maybe he'll get a shot at this point. Um, mm-hmm. Now uh, as uh, as we wrap it up here, just a couple more things uh, with you. Uh, they're in a uh, Greenville. What's the fan base like for uh, Lewis Tomlinson? <laughs> you're gonna be the number uh, one fan up there right you're leading the crew uh tyler i don't know if you know this but my twitter bio says i have no opinions on louis 
It's Louis Tomlinson. Oh, so I'm trying to I'm, save you. So I'm, I'm canceled to save now. You. I'm done. They're yeah. coming for me next. Yeah. I'm trying to save you from from the impending doom. <laughs> I would say, I would say that Greenville has gained another Louis Tomlinson supporter in Mitchell Summers. <laughs> We're all. I like my job. I enjoy um, not being uh, my job in question and if that means I like every member of One Direction equally that's the case <laughs> well if that's true then I really like Elf on the Shelf then you know yes oh yes that's, yes. that's a great thing it's uh, shouldn't at all call into question parenting if you're into Elf on the Shelf Right. You know, I mean, parents, uh, just let the thing raise your kid. Just let it do it. You know? Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, um, that's going to be a great long conversation with my coworkers. <laughs> oh yeah. I'm sure it will be. Yeah. Oh boy. Oh, boy. Um, you know, I, I would guess though, more than likely that, that actually the, the real thing is that, that, that a Greenville's about to be Coldplay territory. Oh, yes. Oh, I will spread the gospel of Coldplay. <laughs> Chris Martin is, is a songbird uh, genius for the ages. And, uh, well, Lisa, my girlfriend, she's also a big Coldplay fan. So we're going to be this screaming clocks with the uh, windows down, driving down Main Street in Greenville. So if you're wondering uh, who that guy is, uh, you know, that's got Coldplay bumping, uh, it's probably you. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, uh, off the top of my head, I think I could only name like two Coldplay songs, you know, probably Viva uh, the Viva and something just like this. What am I missing? Uh, well, you're missing, what are you, what are you missing? Uh, scientists. Uh, Violet Hills, X and Y. Uh, oh my, I don't even, uh, um, I it just, I don't even know where to start. I just said the blasphemy of like, oh, there's only two good Coldplay songs. I'm not uh, saying there's only two good Coldplay songs, that's just the only ones that come to mind. I, I have a whole Coldplay list playlist on Spotify. I'll share with you. Okay, share it with me. Uh, try to That's convert it. me. You know, we'll, we'll the next time I see you, we'll have all your Coldplay and Louis Tomlinson, you know, party of some sorts. Oh yeah, this is what this is what grown men do nowadays. Yes, <laughs> yes, yeah. And, and look at pictures of DK Metcalf shirtless. You know, yeah. yeah. Oh yes, and yes. then I'll say, you know what? If only it was AJ Brown. <laughs> oh this uh this has been a fun conversation mitchell yeah, uh yeah. we have gone off the rails and i am uh, glad we did mitch uh, before we go where can people follow you and see the uh, great stuff you're uh, about to do in greenville man well i'm about to change my twitter bio uh my twitter handle and all that kind of stuff but you can always find me as of now at uh at wibw mitchell that's going to be changing uh, my Facebook page is still WWW Mitchell Summers, but all that stuff's going to be changing. So um, we're, that is all still pending, but at least probably for the next week, you can find me there. I love it. Great stuff, Mitch. 
Best of luck to you. Uh, I'll make my way to Greenville. You got to come out here to Dallas sometime soon, too. And uh, yeah, we'll be you. talking again down the line. Thanks for joining us, man. Yes, sir. Appreciate you, man. Time for Coach Bo's Football Fix, presented by O'Connor Advisory Group. You can find O'Connor Advisory Group online, oagks.com, O'ConnorAdvisoryGroup.com. You can reach out to Bo by phone at 785-856-0720. That's 856-0720 to schedule an appointment today. You can also reach out to Bo by email, brian.oconnor at lpl.com. That's brian with a Y, dot O'Connor at lpl.com. You can also check out the Coach Bo Knows podcast out each and every Monday and Friday on all major podcast platforms, and Coach Bo joins us right now. Bo, how are we doing this week? Man, we're doing all right. We're getting here. We're getting through it. You know, it's uh, it's midweek. We're uh, getting it going. So it's been a, bit, been a little busy time here. You know, May is one of those. It's up and down and with the market craziness. We've been getting a lot of phone calls, a lot of people calling in, and we've been reaching out to clients as well, letting them know where, where we know we're, we're monitoring things. So... Yeah, a lot of pit folks right now, if you've got that old 401k sitting there and you're like, what the hell is going on? Give us a call. We'd love to, we'd love to go over that with you and see if we can help you out on your alternatives. Bo, I, I think, of, you know, obviously, you know, our calendar year is, you know, ends in December and such, but it feels like the month of May is such a transition month, month with, yeah. you know, schools ending, of course, most people, if they're going to move, move around, you know, after school ends, you know, May, June and such. I, I would think that's a good time transition wise if you're looking for that next step, you know, uh, when it comes to your your life insurance or some of those that, that setup yeah. plan. Now's that time to, to get that going when maybe you're making that move or have that yeah. transition point in your life. Here. It, it's a great point. Uh, May is actually Life Insurance Awareness Month. We're doing a lot of stuff on that. Um, but it is. I find that. May, June, July are actually the best months to do planning because just like you said, especially June and July, I think, because people are transitioning in some things. The kids are out of school. You've got a little more time. You don't have as many kids events you're running around and doing. Maybe you get some ball games or whatnot, but there's no school. You can have a little parents have a little time for themselves. And it is a great time to kind of take a look at some of your finances and some of your things and say, hey, do I need to? be adjusting my plan a little bit. I find it to be, it's pretty well put because you want to do it before you get back to, you know, August, September, when kids start to school back to school and everything that goes in with that. And then the end of the year, we have the holidays and nobody wants to do during the holidays. So I find June and July or your late May, June and July are great times. And we have a lot of time available. So I'd be happy to help people out. We want to be your partner, oagks.com, counteradvisorsgroup.com. All right, Bo, uh, looking back on the uh, NFL draft, for me, there was some clear winners and there was some clear losers to this draft. Yeah. Let's start out with the winners. Uh, who stood out to you of who had the, the best draft among the, uh, the teams okay. there? There were four or five teams that I, I think this were kind of heads and shoulders above the others. Now, what I will say first off is you have to take into effect a couple of things. One, sometimes teams get high picks because they earn them. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you're the Jets and the Giants. You keep picking in the top five because you earn that pick every year. <laughs> um, so it does help. Um, but then there were teams that, um, you know, also will then trade for a player like the Eagles did. And you have to include that player as part of their draft. So a couple of things. That's what you can see how where I'm going with this. 
the team I thought did the best job drafting, this is so strange I'm saying this, was the New York Jets. Okay. Now, part of it is they had two really high picks. You know, they had one for the Sam Darnold trade. They had one that was their own. They picked the, the player I think is the best player in the draft, Kayvon Thibodeau. And then they also got um, – I'm going to look again. I don't have it up. But um, I was overall – Evan like, Neal. Devin, yeah, Evan Neal was the other one. I, was thinking, I think it was Evan Neal. I was trying to make sure it wasn't that he went to the Giants because the Giants did really well too. Oh, he went to the Giants. Sorry, I got that. Yeah, that's where I was. Yeah, that's where I was. I was yes, the uh, Jets got uh, Sauce Gardner. Sauce Gardner was the one. Yeah. So I looked at it. Okay. So they had Sauce Gardner at four and then Garrett Wilson right. at 10 to the Jets. But the, the best thing the Jets did, I loved Sauce Gardner. I liked the, the, Garrett, Will, the Garrett Wilson trade or the Garrett Wilson pick. But what I really liked was they were aggressive to get from the early second round into the first round when they saw Jermaine Johnson drop into the mid to late 20s. When he was at 26 and the Jets were able to trade up, I think the story of the draft was how little it cost to trade up. The only team that paid a bunch to trade up was, um, I thought Jacksonville overpaid when they traded up. And I can't think of the other one now. I have to look. But there was two teams in particular I thought traded, spent too much trading up. But everybody else, it was you know a third round pick or a fourth round pick to move up five or six spots, which is so shocking. It wasn't the give us your one next year, which you you frequently see. Um, but the Jets trading up for Jermaine Johnson was a great deal. They gives them three starters immediately. Part of it is they got a bad roster. So they kind of earned it. But I thought that the Jets were sort of my number one winner. My number two winner was the Eagles. Okay. But the Eagles had a great draft. I liked uh, Jordan Davis, the defensive tackle from Georgia, big as a Coke machine. I mean, he's just a massive human being you're going to put right in the middle. If he avoids injury, He's going to be a guy there for a very long time. The trade that brought over um, um, AJ Brown, I thought you got to look at you got to look at that as part of that is the draft, and I liked that. The other thing I thought the Eagles did extremely well was their later picks. Uh, I wish I had it all in front of me now, but um, I really was impressed with some of their later picks. And I was impressed. I mean, there was just there was teams that got it this year, and they really seemed to get it. Um, two yeah, other teams, the got, Eagles, uh, their picks. Uh, you know, Jordan Davis with that thirteenth pick. Yeah. Uh, Cameron Jurgens, the center from Nebraska, in the second round. Yeah, I was, thought he was better than the one from Iowa that you liked. Yeah, I, I, I uh, Tyler Linderbaum. Lindenbaum, yeah, Lindenbaum, yeah. I thought that I, I think they were both kind of the same, and getting him for value in the second round was great. The other three picks that they had, I really liked too in the later rounds. Nicobe Dean out of Georgia. In the third that was the round. other one I liked that they had because I thought he was a first round guy. Yeah, I thought he was a first round guy too. Yeah. And then, you know, Kyron Johnson, who we saw a lot at KU, under the radar guy that really was the only good thing about that Kansas defense. Yeah. Um, it's because he went to the University of Kansas that he was a six-round guy. If he went to 
you know, Baylor, he's probably a third or fourth round pick. Be, maybe uh, right. And then Greg Calcaterra, decent tight end, uh, you know, he good hands, not good yard after catch guy, but a good red zone target potentially. And, you know, he and Jalen Hurts played together at Oklahoma previously. So just another weapon to help out uh, Jalen Hurts, make him feel yeah. more comfortable there. I thought the Eagles, yeah, they did a very I good. I thought the Eagles were good. The other one I thought was really solid was the Giants. Yeah. The Giants didn't they didn't do a lot of moving around. They got take cave on Thibodeau. That's where I got confused. I was getting yes, they got cave on Thibodeau and Thibodeau, Evan Neal. And then they were the ones that picked my sleeper. The guy that I really like, the guy that I think is the the Debo Samuel of this draft is Wandell Robinson from Kentucky. And uh, I thought he'd go into second, maybe the early third. I didn't think he'd get – I didn't think he'd go late in the second. Um, the Giants got in there and got him at the 11th pick in the second round, which is a little higher than I thought he was going to go, uh, but a heck of a player. One, one team that, that caught my interest too, uh, there's a couple that they're in the winner's category, but it feels like with a caveat, is the Seahawks and the Chiefs. The Seahawks found really good players. They're top four picks for me. Charles Cross, home run pick at nine. Boy, Maffe and you know, Kenneth Walker the third at 41 and 42. Really good picks. Yeah. Um, Andrew Lucas in the third round. Really good pick as well. But the biggest weakness of this Seahawks team is still not taken care of. They still didn't find the quarterback this week. Well, I think there's a reason. passed on Malik Willis three times and could have had him. I, I, I like the four players that they had, but they still didn't fix their biggest problem. I think there's a reason for that. You notice these quarterbacks didn't go. We only had one in the first round. We had none in the second round. And then we had uh, four of them in the third, I think it was. I'd have to go back and look yeah. now. But these quarterbacks, and then you have the whole um, Carson Strong thing where he told teams after the fifth round not to pick it because he didn't want to be a sixth or seventh round pick because he knew he'd get more money as, a, as an undrafted free agent, which he did. Um. I, I think that the, it was because of the quarterbacks. I don't think teams liked this quarterback class at all. I think that there's only the one quarterback that I could see even seeing the field this season is Kenny Pickett. And I don't think he was worthy of a first round pick. I, don't I think didn't have any quarterback with he's a first beat or out second round. Either. Yeah, I don't, I didn't have anybody with a first round grade. I had a couple of guys I thought could be second rounders. But we talked about this. I think it was last week, week before. I think it was on the on the we did the the um, the mock. Yeah, man. I, there was nobody in this draft quarterback wise that would have been even above Davis Mills a year ago. Yeah, and there would have been six guys, and any of the guys Davis Mills included that were picked last year would have been in the top ten this year. Yeah, just because of need. And this quarterback class was one of the worst ones we've ever seen. Now, one of the other team for me that was in a situation, yes, they had a good draft, but it wasn't as good as what it could have been. They didn't necessarily fill the need. What for me was the Kansas City Chiefs. Yeah. You got McDuffie, you got Colophis, two good I picks. Like I didn't like that. Pick. I liked Colophis. I don't um, like it at all. But Trading up for McDuffie, I like McDuffie. He's a good player and such. I thought McDuffie was really good. 
in the second round. And I think Sky Moore could be a good player. Yeah. And Sky Moore is who I thought the Chiefs were going to take in the first round. And here's my point. Let me finish here. Good for I'm sorry. Um, when I looked at the Chiefs doing the draft that they did, and you look at free agency and they bring in Justin Reed and let Tyron Matthew go, he's the saint. We'll talk about that in just a second. Um, and you, you bring in Juju and Valdez Scandling and such. Um, with all the shifting the Chiefs made, the Chiefs are not a better team today than they were last year. You know, they, they make these moves, and they were aggressive in the moves. They didn't have to do these things. You could have kept Tyreek Hill. You could have paid him and and not made that move with, with the Dolphins and kept that pick. You could have brought back Tyron Matthew instead of Justin Reed. You did all these things. I don't like what Brett Veach did. You know, I mean, did they have a good draft? Yes, but they're not a better team than what they were, and their division got better all around them. I don't disagree with any of that. Um. I, again, we've talked at length on the Tyreek Hill thing. I think that they did the right thing on Tyreek Hill. Um, I don't think that they thought that with the Justin Reed and Tyron Matthew thing, I thought, and I think they thought that Matthew was just going to be more money. And they did. They never even offered him a contract. But I mean, you got less uh, money than Justin Reed did. And you got less money than Justin Reed did. Yeah. I think if they had the choice, they would have stayed with Matthew. Um, as far as their draft, I didn't like the second pick. I did like Sky Moore. I did like Brian Cook. I think he'll be good. I liked him in Cincinnati. He was the other court, the other safety there, the other D-back that was real good on that team. Um, and then after you get past that, they just got some guys. What I did like the Chiefs did was that they were aggressive in moving up when they could, moved up a little bit to get more, moved up to get McDuffie, they only got a few roster spots, and they realized with 12 picks, they weren't going to be able to use them all. So trading a few of them to get moved up wasn't a bad deal for them. Um, what I'm surprised about with the Chiefs is, like you said, I, they're not better today than they were yesterday, but they are younger. And, you know, they're thinking that the coaching staffs, I think that the Chiefs have this idea that, Andy Reid's a super genius, as my as an old guy would say, and that he can make you know chicken salad out of chicken shit, and that he's going to get the best out of everybody at all times. Yeah, I agree with you. Everyone in their division got better. The Chiefs have gotten worse, and I, right now, I don't think the Chiefs are the favorite in the AFC West. Who is? Who do you like? I think it's the Chargers. I think right now, if I had to choose one. I, Chargers right now. I, I I just I like what they're done in the offseason. And I I think realistically I, you can make a case for any of the four. I think you can. I think you can make a case for Denver. I think you can make a case for the Raiders. Um, but I I really like what the Chargers have done, and the Chargers have got a good young quarterback too. And they got better pass rushers, too. Um Another thing before we get to the losers of the draft, uh, at the beginning, the Jags took Trayvon Walker over Aiden Hutchinson. The Lions come away with a very good draft, and they kept the hometown kid yeah. and arguably the best player in this draft. They're more than thrilled. Lions did good. The Jags, did they overthink this? Like, Aiden Hutchinson seemed like the obvious pick, well, and everyone thought they were going to do it until the week of when the odds makers – came out and changed it to Trayvon Walker was the favorite. 
and they chose Walker. Walker's numbers weren't that great for a number one overall pick. What were the Jags doing with this move to get Walker? Well, I think the Trayvon Walker thing, part of it is, is numbers-wise, is he's on that Georgia defense where they had a whole bunch of them. <laughs> and so the numbers kind of got spread around a little bit as far as sacks and pressures and whatnot. Um, I don't think that any of the three edge rushers were a bad decision. I don't think Walker was a bad decision. I don't think Hutchinson was a bad decision. I don't think Kayvon Thibodeau would have been a bad decision at one. I wonder, and my guess, if I had to guess, is it might have come to signability or it might have come to something like that. Maybe they thought that Trayvon Walker was a better athlete and could do a few more things. I don't know. Um, I know the Lions jumped at getting the local kid, and rightfully so. I mean, they didn't think that was going to happen. And if they get the opportunity, they took Aiden Hutchinson. I think all three of those guys are going to be pro bowlers. They're all going to be really, really good. And I don't think any of them are bad picks. So I won't give the Jaguars a lot of grief. Um, with Jacksonville, the one I thought was the bad pick for them was they gave up too much to move up a few picks to pick Devin Lloyd from Utah. They overpaid. Yeah, they, they overpaid. He's a good player worthy of a first-round pick. And they didn't read the terrain of the draft. They gave up the equivalent of a three and a four to move up. I think it was, uh, well, it went from one. So from 33 to 27, six spots when everybody else was getting a three or a four. Right. Uh, classic, you know, con family stuff there, you know. They overthought. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, I'm surprised that they didn't pick Kenny Omega in the first round. Yeah. Wrestling fans are laughing their ass. <laughs> so <laughs> they're saving that for next year. Next year, they're going to pick Daniel. Uh, was it Brian Danielson? The number one overall pick. Uh, you know, I did hear someone said that they liked the Jags picks and liked that team and the direction they're going in, especially in the South, which may be kind of weak as a division. I don't necessarily agree with that. I think the Titans will still be good. The Colts are going to be better. I don't know. I, I think the Jags are going to be trying out to see if they want to move that team to London sooner than later. Yeah. Didn't really. I thought they were, to me, they were, I liked the number one overall pick. It wasn't terrible. There wasn't the one guy, and there was no quarterbacks worth taking. Mm-hmm. I think that nothing they needed one anyway. So no one was willing to – they're not being a quarterback. They wouldn't have taken one anyway because of Trevor yeah. Lawrence. But they couldn't trade that pick. Yeah, The value of that one, if you've got a quarterback, is to trade it to somebody else and line up some extra picks. Yeah. One more winner for me. Uh, the Ravens drafted 11 players. Yeah. They – Got maybe the best player in this draft in Kyle Hamilton, but we know safeties don't get picked that high, and they found him where they did, and they got Tyler Linderbaum, and, I mean, they, they just did an incredible job. And the Ravens have one of the best scouting departments in the National Football League. They draft well every single year. With all that being said, they trade off Hollywood Brown, and now I wonder who's playing receiver for them. I mean yeah. – Yes, that they did, you know, draft a, a, a tight end and and uh, pretty high and such. And, you know, I mean, I, I think they're going to go to a run first and short passing game offense. But, I mean, you look at that depth chart, they, they don't have any receivers for Lamar no, to get the ball to. Their, their receiver core is, is, is in flux for sure. Um, the thing that's surprising to me is that no one's talking about, you know, uh, Lamar Jackson, you know, tweeting – WTF 
right after the trade. You know, you didn't talk to him about it. And and the fact that they haven't done a deal with Lamar yet tells me something too. Mm-hmm. I don't think they're sold on Lamar. I think it's a mistake. I, you know, Teddy KGB and would tell you, pay that man his money, give him his money. That dude's worth it. Uh, I, I, I would, I would pay him. And I, I didn't like. I, I thought the Ravens were solid. I thought they were solid. I liked Kyle Hamilton, best safety in the draft, without question. Uh, Linderbaum, I know you liked him more than I did. I don't dislike it to pick, but they also traded. They traded up to get that. Yeah. And then the what I did like was the second round pick was uh, Ojobo, mm-hmm. uh, David Ojobo, the uh, linebacker from Michigan. Jo- yeah, and he played very well on kind of the opposite side of Aiden Hutchinson um, in, in college. And I thought he was a good player too. I thought he, that was a good pick. Right, I liked Ch- Charlie Kolar in the fourth round. I thought that was a good value pick. I think he yeah. can be a really good tight end in the league. Yeah, um, you know uh, Travis Jones, a defensive tackle from UConn. I think was a really good pick as well. I really like what the Ravens did just kind of similar to what we talked about with the chiefs where you found good players, but you didn't necessarily take care of your needs per se. So, yeah. And I think, and this was a a draft class where frankly, they could have gotten that need, a need filled at 25 pretty easily. Mm -hmm. I mean, there was plenty of receivers they could have gotten um, even if they wanted to trade back. And go into the second round, they could have got a couple of receivers. Right. Uh, they didn't, you know, receivers were at a premium in this deal. And there was a lot of them, and they didn't take any of them. Um, losers of the draft. I got to start with Cowboys, right? Um, yeah, I think so. The, the situation after the draft where Jerry Jones ended up showing his draft board publicly and did that, I haven't seen any stunts yet. and. Uh, you know, we, we then zoom in and we could tell they had Kayvon Thibodeau as one, Evan Neal two, Aiden Hutchinson three, Garrett Wilson four, Sauce Gardner five, Derek Stingley six, Trayvon Walker seven, Kyle Hamilton eight, Akeem Aguanu nine, Drake London ten, Jordan Davis eleven, Charles Cross twelve, Lewis uh, Kine from Georgia thirteen, Jameson Williams fourteen, Chris Olave fifteen, Tyler Smith sixteen. Tyler Smith, highest-rated player on their board when they picked and they took him. Um, if that legit was their draft board and they really took Tyler Smith at that spot, uh, Jerry Jones should be firing his uh, scouting uh, staff if that was legit. I mean, and, and I would assume so it was because that's who they picked, Tyler Smith. Yeah. I didn't think it was a horrible pick, but I it was too high for him. Again, it's one of those values. Tyler Smith would have been available in the third round. Yeah, and that's the thing is that if if he's your guy, you can trade back, pick up another pick, and pick him in the second round. Even that would have been high, but it's at least explainable. I mean, here's my my thing, Bo. Um, I think a lot of times these teams get so caught up in their own bubble Mm -hmm. of how they look at guys compared to how everybody else is. I mean – you may love a guy, but 31 other teams may not love him the same way you do. Where is the perspective of, okay, let's play this right. Let's try to capitalize and get some draft capital and still yeah. get our guy. And that's the thing. If you got a guy and you think that you can get him later, use the capital. Get something else out of it. 
especially when they've got players who can they've got some holes they've got to fill. They're not a, a, a legit stacked team. I, I didn't like the pick. I didn't hate it as much as some people. Well, I didn't like their draft pretty much across the board. Um, you know, if it had been me, I would have taken a first round wide receiver if I were Dallas. Uh, they got, you know, they got to replace some people there. They've got things they got to do. Mari Cooper, they don't have a solution yeah. there. They don't. I mean, Dallas is a team I think should look at Brees Hall. I mean, if you're going to, if you're going to reach in the first round, trade back five picks and take Brees Hall at 29 or 30. Mm-hmm. You know, that kind of thing. I think you could have gotten that. You could have done something there. Um, I don't know. I just didn't. I agree with you on Dallas. The other uh, one was, for me, the other loser was New England. That by far, that was my number one loser was New England. And look, Belichick, six-time Super Bowl champion, coach, and GM. But lately, his drafts haven't been that great. If you look, and, his drafts haven't been good for a while. I mean, look at these picks here: Cole Strange at twenty-nine. Probably most people had a third-round grade on. Yeah. Tyquan Thornton. I like Tyquan Thornton. Uh, I do, but I don't like him as a second-round pick. He was a, a, I did sort of the mock draft simulators. He was available in the fifth round most of the time. Yeah. Um, you know, Marcus Jones, that's fine. Jack Jones, that's fine. Pierre Strong, fourth round. Another guy would have probably been available in the sixth. Bailey Zapp would have not been drafted, I don't think. I don't think Bailey Zapp would have been drafted by any other team, let alone in the fourth round. I think he would have been available as an undrafted free agent. I think so, too. Um, Bill Belichick, I, I don't – this was this was a horrible draft for New England, especially for a team that was so much better this past year. They really could have helped themselves and been a contender with a couple of these picks. Yeah. I In the second round, when they took Tyquan Thornton, I was like, Sky Moore is sitting there. I had a first-round grade on Sky Moore. Why they didn't go earlier, I don't know. Um, Cole Strange is a horrible pick. I mean – just because you know, he's going to be a starter for them, and he's going to be a starter for a few years. But, again, it's the value. He's a guy you know you can get later, and Belichick's always been a trade-down guy. Trade yeah. down. you got a roster that's not very good, especially on the offensive side of the ball, and there's some plenty, some offensive players that would have helped him out. Yeah. Um, I completely agree on Zap. Um. I didn't have him graded to get drafted at all. I horrible pick. I thought that it, it was pretty bad to me. I thought the quarterback thing, this whole draft was really out of whack. Um, Ritter went before Willis and then uh, Willis and Ritter ahead of Coral. I like Corral better. Um, yeah. I mean, I just, uh, I don't think that Washington would have taken Sam Howe had they known they were going to sign Carson Strong. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's just bad. That's being a bad GM. Mm-hmm. You can't go get Carson. Now, I, I had Carson Strong as the second-best quarterback in this draft. Yeah. That's how bad this draft is. I'm not saying he's great. I'm just saying that's how bad I still can't believe that Skylar Thompson is an NFL-drafted quarterback. Yes, that was pretty terrible. <laughs> and and, uh, and Brock I mean, Purdy being Mr. Irrelevant, the very last pick of the draft, yeah. was just perfect. What a, a perfect of- ending to his Iowa State career. Yeah. So I just it was not a it was not a good quarterback class. We're going to look back and we're going to laugh at this class. There's none of these guys are going to make. Um, We got a little bit of time left. Let's go through those uh, trades real quick. Uh, Mm -hmm. We mentioned uh, Marquise Brown. uh, 
you know, leaving Baltimore, he's headed to Arizona. Yeah. Pairing up with Kyler Murray again. When, you know, for Marquise Brown, the offense is going to be much more what he was looking for and pair up with Kyler Murray, and that should make Kyler Murray a little happier. But when you see what the receiver market was like and what they're paying Marquise Brown, I'm like, uh, Arizona, you could have done better than Marquise Brown for what you gave up for him. Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't a good, wasn't a good trade at all. Um, could have got something better. I think they were a little beat up. I think they knew about maybe they knew about DeAndre Hopkins in advance. Yeah, maybe they knew a couple of days in advance. And they're going, oh, we got to do something about this. And now he's suspended for six games. So you get a little desperate trying to because I think Arizona's a team that really cannot afford to come out to, to shoot early and not be hot coming out early. Yeah, this season. Um, Tennessee moving on from uh, AJ Brown. I think Tennessee. They are written off now. No longer a contender. Their their time is over. Uh, meanwhile, Philadelphia, it's put up or shut up time for Jalen Hurts. No excuses anymore. Yes, you need some help on that offensive line, sure. But with the receivers he's got, with Devonta Smith, and uh, and now bringing in AJ Brown, if Jalen Hurts can't have a big big year, then he can't play. This is going to be – this is make or break it. He's going to get a contract or he's going to get cut. I mean, it's – he's either the Eagles he's, – he's either the Eagles franchise quarterback or he's a quarterback somewhere else in 2023. I agree. that They went all in, get, put as many things around him as they could, and um, we'll see what happens, what the chips fall as they may. Um, and, and what about Tennessee's end of things here? Uh, have they given up? Are they throwing in doubt at this point? I don't think so. I think they think as long as they have – Derrick Henry and some of the play action. But I think that, I mean, Malik Willis is not going to be a starter. I don't think Malik Willis will see the field outside of an injury. I mean, an injury, yes. But outside of an injury, he's a project, and they're looking at him thinking maybe there's upside to him. It wasn't a terrible pick in the third round. I just was not – he's not someone – I have a couple reasons on it. One, I like his athleticism. But I don't like the small school thing. I, he didn't play a lot of quality at Liberty. He didn't make a lot of – he did throw a lot of picks. Um, and when he did play a couple of good teams, he didn't play well in those games. I just – he's a project to me. And, and the athleticism makes it worth a project. Mm-hmm. But a lot of this talk of him being a, a, a Steve McNair kind of prototype, to me that's not – that's trying to – to shove the round. That's trying too hard, yeah. Trying real hard to put the, the round stick to the round hole. Do you have a problem with Tannehill saying it's not his job to mentor Malik Willis? I don't have I, an issue with it. I know – I mean, Tannehill knows that he's fighting for his football life right now. I get where yeah, he's going it's a different. This is a different animal than in the past with like a Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers thing. This is not Ryan Tannehill at the twilight of his career. He's fighting for – like you said, he's fighting for his job. So I know I don't have a big as big a problem with that. I would if he was if he was Matt Ryan, let's say, and you brought in and he was still in Atlanta, and you brought in a young quarterback, that'd be different. But in this situation, this is not Tannehill at the twilight of his career. This is Tannehill in the prime and saying, Hey, I gotta fight a young kid now for my job. So yeah, I don't disagree with that at all. I I, I probably wouldn't be the babysitter either. Yeah. And Kurt Warner, uh, you know, he says that these younger young quarterbacks need a mentor. Just DM him; he'll do it. Uh, Kurt, I'll DM you. You can mentor me. I want to be a quarterback. Uh, is yeah. it too late at this point? 
Kurt Warner's a great guy. I mean, that guy's got a heart of gold. He's got a great story. You know, uh, he, he's doing the right thing. He's being nice and kind. That's who he is, the person. Yeah. He's a kind. Last thing, Tyron Matthew to uh, New Orleans here. Uh, big homecoming. Didn't get the money he wanted necessarily, but uh, he's going to be with the Saints and uh, good value. Uh, I'm certainly excited about that. Well, you know I'm excited. That's my squad in New Orleans. And I love the draft New Orleans had. I love getting Matthew. Uh, he's brought some excitement to everything New Orleans. I mean, this is a guy who's an, he's an LSU guy. He's from New Orleans. This couldn't have gone better. Their defense is stacked. Um, this is a, with this draft as well, with Trevor Penning and Chris Olave in the first round, um, this is the Saints saying, we're putting a hell of a defense out in the field, and we're going to stack some as many pieces around Jameis Winston as we can, and we think we'll be different, but we think we'll be good. And they'll be competitive in the South. Oh, yeah. With as bad as that division is, they should be a playoff team. There's no excuses. Yeah. So Yeah, it'll be – I think they'll be Jameis at this point. Yeah, I mean, Jameis, um, you know, Jameis Winston's got two years. Got this year and next on his contract. He's going to get the opportunity. Now it's time to get it done. Well, we're out of time. Appreciate you joining us. The hey, football thanks. fix presented by O'Connor Advisors Group. OHEKFs.com, O'Connor Advisors Group.com. Coach Bo knows podcast as well. Check it out Mondays and Fridays. Bo, thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you, Tyler. Take care, buddy. A couple more things before we wrap up today's show. Let's go ahead and get to our Big 12 breakdown this week. And our Big 12 breakdown kind of combined some stuff going on in college football. Let's first touch on NIL. And we're, we're hearing talk of NIL just being a, a little bit too much is, is uh, the conversation. You know, Bob Stoops has said it. Uh, Lincoln Riley has said it, you know, saying that it's out of control and need some restrictions and the guy that's been kind of the face of all that is Lincoln Riley. And of all things too, what I find really fascinating as far as like the Lincoln Riley stuff goes, you know, the, the, the thing that we heard from him was that he wasn't recruiting players that were not in the portal. That's what he tried telling us. But then some Oklahoma players straight up came out and said, we were, trying to be recruited by Lincoln Riley when we weren't even the portal to go to USC. And now this situation with the wide receiver from Pittsburgh, Addison, uh, Jordan Addison, he's entering the transfer portal. And apparently he already, according to some speculation, had a deal with USC in place before he ever entered the portal. Now he's taking his time to make his decision and, there's been some rumblings about Alabama possibly being interested in Addison and such, but you know, wherever it may be, you know, here's the thing as the rules are set up right now, essentially tampering is going on in college football. It is. And, you know, Lincoln Riley, I think is, you know, the, the easiest target, you know, he's the most obvious one doing it. But there's no real way to stop it of some sorts, because what a guy like Lincoln Riley could do is he could say, hey, that's not me. That's a booster. You know, I mean, like there, there's not really much policing that goes on with it. And, you know, do, do I think what guys like Lincoln Riley are, are doing is ethical? Certainly not. But, you know, for me, Tom, I actually don't have a huge issue with it because, we saw for such a long time 
that these college football players were held back from going where they wanted to go. Well, coaches went left and right and such. They weren't getting the money that they deserved and weren't getting those opportunities. Now they finally have choice. Now they finally have, you know, the right opportunities that they can pursue and such that they didn't have otherwise. The pendulum was way on one direction. Now it's way on the other direction. And, you know, does it suck for some teams and such, you know, when you're looking at so many players in the portal, you don't know what your roster is going to be like the next year. Absolutely. It sucks. I get that. It's not easy for coaches to deal with, but you know what? Um, We deserve this for what we did to these players for quite some time. You know, I'm okay with the pendulum being back the other direction. It will eventually work itself out and, We'll have a compromise, but I'm okay with things we're at right now, considering how terrible they were before. I, I much rather have things with where they are now compared to what they were. I mean, yeah, for sure. And there's going to be some abuse to it or some, some of it's taken advantage. And you mentioned the policing part of things where could it be policed better? Maybe, but at the, at the end of the day, look at how many loopholes before NIL in terms of paying players. We knew paying players went on before the NIL. Now that happened, if you want to police it now, there's going to be just as many, if not more, loopholes to continue paying the players whatever they want. Some of that gets ridiculous where there's players that even have proven themselves that are like, well, uh, I want $3 million, you know, I want a $3 million NIL dealer. I'm not coming type thing. Uh, I can't think of what player that was, but that was recent in the news about a week and a half ago. Um you know, it can get ridiculous, but I like how you mentioned, you know, before it was ridiculous on the opposite spectrum. We've essentially done a 180 and we've turned it over to the players. Now we've given the players the power. And I think that's where it, it should stay. I think a lot of this will calm down. I think it's, it's, uh, it's, it's getting wild and crazy right now because of, well, it's like, it's like a preacher's daughter, right? <laughs> You've been sheltered your whole life, and you go out, and, well, the preacher's daughter's going off to college, and she's definitely drinking a lot, and she's definitely going to be a hoe. Like, that's what NIL is right now. All, all these players want all this money. It's all a bunch of preacher's daughters, uh, and rightfully so, uh, because the NCAA was the corrupt preacher beforehand that, that locked you down and didn't allow you, made all the money off of you, and didn't give you a dime. And they said, well, you should – you should enjoy your psychology degree we paid for, right? You know, we didn't right. come here to play. We didn't come here to play school. Uh, I mean, we want to really talk some money. We really want to talk some business. They made so much. I mean, the amount of money that the NCAA has made off the backs of these players is ridiculous. So, sure, let it run rampant. Let it run stupid for a little bit. I'm all for it. Eventually, it'll calm down. And if it doesn't, there'll be rules in place to make that happen. Right. Right. Uh, I'm with you there. Uh, College football playoff in the uh, NCAA. One uh, point that was brought up by Ohio State's athletic director is uh, Gene Smith. The idea of separating the college football playoff, you know, the, the top division of college football from the NCAA altogether and that the NCAA would still run the other sports, but not college football. This has been talked about for a long time. Now, it seemed like that the discussion was, for a hot minute, the idea of separating the Power Five and creating their own division. 
and then have everything else operate under the NCAA umbrella for other sports. But now this concept that Gene Smith has brought up, the idea of just getting everybody out of there and putting it under the college football playoff umbrella. To, to kind of simplify this of some sorts, right now, when they crown the champion in college football, the college football playoff is separate, separate from the NCAA. Um, the conferences run the playoff. It has nothing to do with the NCAA. The sport and the guidelines of it go by the NCAA. And the NCAA has their infractions committee involved in all that. But they have nothing to do with the championship of college football at the highest level. They do at the FCS level and every other sport, but the conferences run the playoff. So essentially what Gene Smith is saying is, look, we already run the playoff and do a pretty dang good job of doing so. We don't need the NCAA. And so what that would do is you would free up college football from having to run by the NCAA's rules and all the other sports would run based on the NCAA's rules. And then when it comes to Title IX and all those different things, that would apply to NCAA sports, but not to college football. College football at that point essentially becomes minor league football officially. It already feels that way, but you don't have to deal with the BS of the NCAA. I like this idea. This is something that's been in the works for a long, a long time. Um, the only thing, the only thing that I think is, you know, what, what keeps the NCAA involved is the NCAA owns all the trademarks and everything to, you know, the March Madness and the College World Series and all those things in the other sports. Those are run under the NCAA umbrella. So, you know, if they took all those teams and created their own division in college basketball, we wouldn't have March Madness. We wouldn't have the Final Four. It all had to be different names, and it would just be a different tournament. So, you know, one day I would like to see all sports get rid of the NCAA. The NCAA is outdated. It's unnecessary. Uh, but corrupt. If we can it corrupt, yes, among many things. <laughs> if we can at least get it out of college football, that'd be great to start with. But eventually, the end goal should be to get everybody out of the NCAA altogether, as far as I'm concerned. Well, I think NCAA knows that. You know, you mentioned hanging on to to the College World Series and in, in, in baseball. You know, you mentioned March Madness. Obviously, that's their you know their claim to fame at this point above all else. Uh, but at, you know, at the end of the day, okay, do we? Ch- I mean, does it matter that much if we change the name? It's going to be like Jones. Imagine this. Albertson sold all their stores and became Food Pyramid. And then Food Pyramid sold all their stores and the one in Bartlesville became Homeland. You know what people still call it? Albertsons. They still call it Albertsons. You know, okay, if the name changes, what do you want to call it? Um, I don't know what we would call it. Um, I think we did just fine going from the BCS to the college football playoff. Right, right. I don't know what you would call it then. I mean, but you, you could call it anything, right? You could call it, I don't know. I'm trying to think of a, a, a kind of an alliteration for that would start with M or kind of spring basketball. You could call it, I don't know what you would call it. Uh, I try to think. I'm willing funny, to but. sacrifice the names of March Madness, Final Four, Sweet 16, Elite Eight, if it means getting rid of the NCAA. 
Right. I mean, you could change it to Super 16. You could change it to Elegant 8. I mean, I don't know. And, you know, you could change. You could find your favorite F word. I know what mine would be um, <laughs> for the for the final four. But, yeah, I mean, at that point, screw the names. We'll figure it out as long as the format's the same. Doesn't really matter. Um, it's kind of like the NCAA football game coming out. You know, at that point, well, we'll figure it out. We'll, we'll figure out a way. Um, you, you mentioned college football, though. Jones, at that point, um, so, so what's the plan? You understand it more so than I do. I haven't read, to be honest with you, enough on it. Are they going to make a super, like a super cup? Sorry, excuse me, super conference? So the idea is to take everyone that's playing college football at the FBS level, all 128 teams, I believe it is, and basically just say, you are no longer NCAA sanctioned. You're sanctioned by the conferences. The conferences run everything with college football themselves and nothing to do with the NCAA. Officiating, all that stuff runs through the conferences, nothing to do with the NCAA. Um, and to me, I, I think that's a great idea, but knowing that they can't even agree on a structure for the college football playoff and expansion and such, and that's been put on hold. I don't see this happening anytime soon. I think it, it will happen eventually, but we're still a ways from getting there. That This won't happen overnight. It's a great idea in theory, but it's got a long ways to go. Anything we can do to get the national communists against athletes out of this sport <laughs> is a great thing. <laughs> I've heard that before. That's, that's, that's pretty good. That's from Brian uh, Bosworth. That's yeah, that's perfect. Um, what do you what do you think? And we think in eight to ten years, I think so. That would be yeah. fine with me. And let the conferences do their thing. The other thing is, I want a college football commissioner. I want a commissioner just over college football. Uh, in college football, the, the conferences to have their own oversight committee and all that. Um, you know, let's get rid of the selection committee with the playoff. You know, let's. You know, we, we're at least not just let nine people decide the playoff. Let's have a couple different committees, a couple different sources and such. You know, I heard I mean, Bob there's a whole lot of different ways we can make this sport better than what it is. I heard Bob Bowlesby's looking for a job. Ooh, let's get <laughs> away from <laughs> right, I'm kidding, but no, I agree with that. There should be kind of like a commissioner. And and, and you mentioned it, when you, especially when you say the word commissioner. Um, you're, you're talking like minor league football at this point. Right. Um, my, which, my first name would be Greg Sankey, who's doing a phenomenal job with the SEC to be the commissioner of, of college football. Uh, that would be an easy, you know, promotion of sorts. But I would even – dead serious. And I've told this to him before, and he kind of laughed it off. He's like, they wouldn't hire me. I, I, I would – I'd recommend our buddy Tim Brando. Nobody loves – college football more than Brando. He's got all sorts of ideas and how to fix this sport. And he's passionate about it and has seen it at all levels. I'd love to see Timmy B as the college football czar. I mean, that would be cool. I mean, I, you know what I love about Tim Brando? And I'm a little biased here. I'm sure you are too, because friend of the show type situation and just an awesome guy all around. But I, come football season in terms of, of, and I wouldn't even call it hot takes. I'm just a tell it like it is type individual. It's Tim Brando. I mean, he, you know, a lot of people come for Tim, I feel like, yes, for, for what he says on Twitter, but he backs it up and he's absolutely right. There's not been a time where I'm like, damn, Tim, no, that ain't it. 
Right. I've disagreed with him every once in a while, but I respect his opinion and such. He comes from a good place, you know, with, with where he's at. Uh, I love Timmy B and, and uh, we'll look forward to having him back on the show again soon. But yeah, Timmy B would be, would be great. You know, he, he's called out the last few years, the pure playoff privileged as he calls them. Um, and we've seen that firsthand, you know, people want to act like the system's fixed because Cincinnati got in the playoff this year. The playoff had no choice, but to put Cincinnati in the system is far from fixed. It's still heavily flawed and not perfect. And I think a guy like Timmy B would do whatever it takes to try to make this as perfect as possible, quite frankly. Uh, one more note uh, on the Big 12 front. Uh, we told you last week that Cincinnati, Houston, and UCF uh, were closing in on a settlement agreement to get out of the AAC and to officially join the Big 12 in the uh, 2023 through 2024 academic year, along with BYU. That has come to fruition. Uh, they are leaving the American at a 17 to $20 million buyout to join the Big 12 next year. Also, the uh, six Conference USA schools will receive a, a month extension to determine their departure date for the American Athletic Conference. The school is essentially replacing those coming to the Big 12. 17 to $20 million is what they will pay to get out, but they will get a lot more money to come in. And uh, I mean, this is uh, something where Cincinnati and Houston, it, uh, it'll be a little bit of a punch to give that money right away, but the reward will certainly be worth it when it's all said and done. Easy call to join the Big 12 early here, Tom. Oh yeah. I mean, of course, I mean, in, in, in that, and I, I wonder if they're hoping or looking forward to, or expecting to, either get a crack at OU or Texas. You know, we talked about that last week, that that now that that's become official in the payouts and thing like that, um, you, you know, maybe, <laughs> maybe they forced their hand, but maybe they're saying, well, if we don't force them out, then maybe we get the crack out of them to knock them out. You know, it, it, say, let's say these teams play the OU Texas. If you lose, no biggie. If you win, you have everything to gain, right? That's like a bonus for joining the conference. I mean, I'm, I'm sure they're trying to get in as early as possible. I mean, I don't blame them. Um, you know, you look at the outside. Well, hell, look at look at the year Cincinnati had. I don't think, Jones, a Power 5 team makes it again. A, a, a group of five team, you mean? Oh, sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, group of five. Oh, any, yeah. I'm, I'm, what I, I meant to say is any team outside the Power 5 is not going to make the college football playoff in the format that we know it now. Oh, yeah. I mean – I think, Tom, that this move of adding UCF, Houston, uh, BYU, uh, and, and Cincinnati to the Big 12 is officially the death of the group of five. Like, Boise State's the only team left. I guess Memphis isn't bad either, but there's still a chance those schools could even join the Big 12. Um, we were talking about separation of, you know, taking those 128 schools and creating their own league outside the NCAA. I think now you could create a power five division and you would be okay. I mean, you are bringing the best of the best from the power five. Like there's going to be nobody. You're bringing the best of the best from the group of five Boise state and Memphis are going to be all that's about left at this point. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's true. I guess, you know, in terms of teams who are on the bubble to make the power five, 
the Big 12 just kind of scooped up the four, you know, the four of the six. Uh, granted, if I could swap out some teams, maybe I swap out UCF for Boise State. But, you know, we talk, you talked about UCF last week, and I, I still think I agree with you here in terms of their ceiling, I don't think, is, is even where – you know, anywhere near what they are right now. They've only been playing football since the nineties and look what right. they're doing. So they, I mean, they could be the new age boys. I still think Boise belongs in hell. I think if, if West Virginia were to leave the big 12, eventually, I don't think they do now, but if they were to go and, and join the ACC, I, I think Boise state's the next team on the bubble and you know, the PAC 12, I, I think when they see how much the big 12 prospers off of grabbing these other teams up, I think the Pac-12 might just say, well, Boise State, come on down. Yeah, I don't know about that because the uh, Pac-12's media rights deal is up before the Big 12's is. Um, I guess that's true. I guess that's fair. Or or, or I guess, uh, to be fair, maybe they wish they would have. Maybe the Pac-12 wish they would have invited Big 12 teams in. Maybe. Uh, The the Pac-12, you know, they got this elitist mentality about them, you know I mean? so Which is funny because they're the power five. Right, right, but they're the most highly educated, you know, among all supposedly. Supposedly, that's what we've been told, you know. Yeah, um, but they, they should have Kayvon Thibodeau be uh the spokesman for the conference, you know, after uh he, he uh he said that uh his education at Oregon was so much better than that at uh at Alabama, you know. I mean, uh, I, I think that Kayvon Thibodeau is the, the guy that they uh that they want to, to promote their education and such, you know, like, Hey, well, we you had- can only, you can only have it one way, right? You can't say, I mean, granted it's, it was Ohio state player saying that, but you can't, you can't just, you can only have it one way or the other. You can't say we didn't come here to play school. You know, we you know, alluding to we're here for football, not to get an education. You can only have it one way, you know, or you can either have it the neutral way of, yeah, we want to get an education also pursuing our dreams for the NFL, or you can just flat out say, we're going to go get a psych degree like all the other NFL players, like all the other college football players, and we're going to cruise through on an easy. Well, and- I mean, it's, it's no joke. This could be a whole discussion, but it's no, it's no BS that, that college football players get an easier route in terms of classes, grades, assignments than your average non-athlete right. well, Think about college. Kayvon Thibodeau here for a second, and then we'll uh, get to Tom Fuller. I'll wrap up on this point real quick. You know, he, he goes to Oregon. He says he chose that over Alabama because he got a much better education than he did at Alabama, which, uh, according to all the university ratings, show that there's not a big gap, actually, between Oregon and Alabama. Alabama is a very good school. Um, you know, Greg McElroy – had one of the highest wonderlick scores in NFL history and graduated Alabama. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, with that being said, uh, with, with, with Kayvon Thibodeau, um, I do think that he is genuine, even if he's a little short-sighted of some sorts, maybe a little arrogant when he talks about the factual of education and in Oregon in particular, because, um, you know, people will think, well, he went to Oregon and he got that Nike money. Nike has what a hundred different schools at the FBS level that they all have to write checks to and pay and such. I mean, Oregon, you know, 10 years ago was the favorite child of Nike because they got to wear jerseys that nobody else did. And, you know, Phil Knight invested some money in their resources and such, but you know, Mike Nike's got so many mouths to feed. There's only so much that they can do. I actually don't think, 
that Oregon is going to be a huge player in this NIL era because of Nike, because Nike's got to feed everybody else. And if they give Oregon special treatment, they're going to piss off the rest of their schools and they got to keep everybody happy. They can't give Oregon too much special treatment. They're going to get some to some extent, but not as much as I think people realize. Right. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> Sorry. A bit of a cough here. I'm dying over here. Jones the allergies are getting me finally, but uh, I mean, yeah, like it's, it's uh, there's going to be conversations like that, and there's it's I, what different to me when it comes down to those. It's like okay, well, you know, is it is it just I, I don't want to call them like bragging rights or is it kind of like um, well, this is your claim to fame or this is how you think. And at the end of the day, if the Pac-12 is not making the college football playoff or not successful, then then what is it like in the grand scheme of things? What does it actually matter? Right. Right. Exactly. All right. Before we go, time for our Tom Fullery story of the week. Tom, where are we headed to this time? Jones, we've been a lot of places, right? We've, we've been everywhere. Um, and it's maybe we've been to this place, but it's been a long time. Uh, Jones, we're going to space. Hell yeah. It's been a while. It's, yeah, it's been a while since we've been to space. Yeah, I'm going to try to take this story to the moon here. This comes from the New York Post. It's NASA to launch naked pictures. We love on this show to call it naked. naked. I don't think I don't think this is a naked. No, this uh, is naked. I don't think that's an example. I think this is more of a naked pictures of humans. Sorry, let me repeat this article. NASA to launch naked pictures of humans to space in hopes of attracting aliens by charlotte edwards from the sun like i said posted on new york post article reads nasa scientists plan to launch pictures of naked humans into space in the hope of luring aliens to us the depictions will also include an invitation to respond should an intelligent alien race find the space nudes fortunately the hypothetical aliens shouldn't be too shocked by the unsolicited nudes the pictures aren't graphic photos of naked humans, but a drawing of a naked man and a woman next to a depiction of DNA. The man and woman are waving in an attempt to look for inviting. NASA scientists revealed the image in a study that's part of a project called the Beacon in the Galaxy. Beacon in the Galaxy, or what the acronym is, is BITG. The main aim of BITG project is to send a message to any alien civilizations that could be out there. Okay. Jones, I'm surprised this wasn't done before. I guess maybe the technology. Um, Jones, scientists think that the pixelated illustration of a naked man and woman waving hello could help us finally make contact with extraterrestrials. Along with the nude figures and DNA depiction, the scientists have also tried to depict gravity. This all adds up to becoming an updated binary coded message that can be sent into space. Scientists think a binary coded message is most likely to be understood by aliens. The scientists explain in their study, though the concept of mathematics in human terms is potentially unrecognizable to extraterrestrial intelligence, binary is likely universal across all intelligence. Binary is the simplest form of mathematics as it involves only two opposing states, zero and one, yes or no, black and white, mass or empty space. They added the proposed message includes basic mathematical and physical concepts to establish a universal means of communication, followed by information on a biochemical composition of life on Earth, 
the solar system's timestamp position in the Milky Way relative to, no, to known global, globular clusters, as well as digitized depictions of the solar system and Earth's surface. The concept of sending depictions of naked humans to space is not new. The Pioneer, which, yeah, I, I didn't know either. I, I would assume maybe. I don't know how they would have got it there earlier, but um, get a couple of satellites to play a porno video and maybe you got something going. The Pioneer plaques sent to space on the 1972 Pioneer 10 and the 73 Pioneer 11 missions also featured drawings of naked humans. The plaques are attached to the antennas on the crafts. They're still sailing away from Earth to this day. Jones, here's the thing. They tried this in 72 and 73, 20 years before I was born, about 20 year, 25 years before you were born. Um, if they tried this before and it didn't work, I don't know that it's going to now. <laughs> I don't know about this. You know, like, sure, I get the binary part of it in terms of IT and things like that. That probably does make the most sense. Um, if there's something out there that obviously could understand or would understand. Um, Jones, there, there's a lot of conspiracies, too. You know, do we want it's It's pretty obviously kind of stated now that we would love to have an ET type thing visit us or no. But to be honest with you, Jones, with all the shit going on right now and just the world, I don't think we want to add aliens to this. You know, I wouldn't have been shocked in 2020 if aliens would have would have come to Earth. I disagree. Um, I think aliens might be the only thing that could save the human race at this point. I don't, man, maybe I don't know. You know, I there's mean, a lot of conspiracy this, theories. Think about this. We are literally going to be sexually harassing extraterrestrial terrestrials with unsolicited nudes. Well, it depends on how powerful they are. What if they like them enough to come down here and find out? Did OnlyFans take over the space program and nobody told me? You know, I don't know. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That or, you know, Jones, there's a lot of conspiracy theories. And and for the people listening this far into Tom Fuller, if you haven't given up on us yet, uh, if you have heard these, feel free to reach out on Twitter at Thomas underscore Bridges to let me know if you've heard the same things. There's a lot of conspiracy theories on here, Jones, going on that that. You know, maybe aliens aren't as far as we think they are away, and maybe they're not in space. But a lot of depictions and a lot of theories have that aliens are in the deepest depths of the ocean, parts that we have not explored. And you've heard it a million times that the oceans are like not, I don't know what the percentage is now, maybe not even like 75% explored and maybe less than that. Yeah. Um, so, and, and there's there's things that, that even doing the government job things that people are saying off naval bases and things that, that things are diving into the ocean. And there's, there's a different word. It's not UFO or different acronym. It's not UFO. Um, but there's a different acronym essentially being whatever they call it is essentially UFO. Um, and those flying objects being depicted going back into the ocean. Um, flying low leveled above the ocean and diving back down and disappearing. Um, so maybe we should broadcast it to the ocean too. Yeah. Um, I'm all for it. I don't know what would happen if, if there was another intelligent life form that would be obviously would have a UFO capable of flying at high speeds and disappearing into the ocean 
and surviving, you know, in in water or, you know, without oxygen and with oxygen. What if that's the case? What if they're here with us? What if they're there outside? Now, what if they do visit us, Jones? Are we going to shoot at them? Do you think we shoot at them? Is that what we need to finally make the, um, you know, the world, you know, join together as one? Is is literally like an Independence Day type situation? <laughs> Maybe so. Now, I have a pretty bad joke to tell you, but I got to get off my chest anyway, Tom. Why don't we compromise and just send them pic- a picture of Uranus? Wouldn't that be funny? I don't know if they would know. I, what if there was, what if, yeah, what, what if, I mean, what was, what would be their word for Uranus? What if it was your penis? <laughs> <laughs> you know? Your I mean, JJ? How, what, yeah. You know, it could be the planet of your breasts. <laughs> your asshole? <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, you could, you know, it could be anything. It could be, uh, you know, it could be literally whatever they wanted it to be, but. You think about that, Jones. Okay, let's play some hypotheticals because I love a good what if game. If if there were aliens to invade and they were hostile, and the whole world kind of joined together, and it was optional, it, it was still optional. You didn't get drafted or anything like that. Would you take up the fight to save Earth from a, an extraterrestrial? I don't think Earth is worth saving right now. Would you just die in a in a fireball from a UFO? I'd be like, go ahead, just take me out right now. If that's the way I go down, that's the way I go down. Jones, you know, we started the show off with your little bullshit luck in terms of, of shooting. You know, at this point, you're shooting four under par. Right. If or, this like is how said, I you're, die, you're, so be it. That's a hell of a know, way to go out. You know, at this point, you're batting. You're batting nine five zero, right? Um, at at this point, I think the aliens would take you, and you would be end up. You would they would take you to have you broadcast some bullshit alien sport. All right, if if the aliens take me, I'm not dying. Like I'm doing something else. That's then are you? Um, now here's what I wonder. Let's flip it back on us, Tom. We'll end on this real quick. If the aliens are trying to find us and they send naked pictures of aliens, are you wanting to check those out? I mean, obviously. Uh, you know, I got to know what the, I, what if, you know, how do they sexually reproduce? I'm not going to watch alien porn or anything like that. <laughs> but I'd be, you know, I'd be very interested. I think everybody would be. I'd be like, okay, well, if you guys are around, obviously you have to populate somehow. Um, I don't think it would be... I don't know. I don't. Well, I don't know. If I had to guess, I don't think it would be as interesting as um, the way that we re- reproduce. I yeah. think. I think for them, they would probably reproduce by themselves and kind of like um, you know, split cells and things like that. I don't know though, Jones. It, it's it's interesting. It's also scary. Um, I don't know, Jones. Yeah. I guess the final final question I'll leave you with: Do you okay. believe there is extraterrestrial life? You believe there's other intelligent life form out there, either on Earth now in the oceans or wherever, or in our orbit somewhere where we can make contact. Do you believe in intelligent life? Yeah, I believe life that there's something out there. I mean, we'd be naive, I think, to think that there's not. I mean, 
We've something that we can contact covered anything at this point you know so. So, something that we can make communication with not like small cellular life form on mars or anything like that yeah I something that we can communicate something. with i'm open to it i bet there's something out there but on that note we gotta go we are not gonna watch alien porn uh how about that for an ending today As you, always, you can, can go watch signs for that yeah as always, you can subscribe to the show. New episodes out each and every Thursday. Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Leave us a five-star review or don't leave us one at all. Big thanks to Mitchell Summers, Bo Connor as well for stopping by and joining us. You, the listener, as well. Follow us on social media, facebook.com slash Tyler Jones Live, facebook.com slash Studio Soapbox, Twitter at Tyler Jones Live, Twitter at Thomas underscore Bridges, and Twitter at Studio underscore Soapbox, Instagram, Tyler Jones Live, Jones underscore report. It's Thomas. You can find us there. And we will see you all right back here next week. Countdown's on just two weeks away from the PGA Championship in Tulsa. We'll be talking about it on next week's show. Look forward to it. Thomas Bridges, Bo O'Connor, Mitchell Summers, our entire crew of Tyler Jones. Thanks so long. This has been another edition of Jones Sports. See you next week.